Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, let's record a episode in which we play our favorite music of all time and just kind of nerd out on that and also kind of ramble on about uh, some different things that the listeners want us to talk about. What do you say? I love it. This is the Psychology of Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and someone who loves music that I grew up with, which was a long, long time ago. <laughs> who are you, Umberto? My um, name is Umberto. Um, Umberto Castaneda, and I'm into growing organic plastics. So someone asked us, I would love to hear some small talk about your pets for once. <laughs> what pets do you have or have had? Berto. Pet peeves or pet pets? Pets. <laughs> All right. Well, my first pet ever was Jack. And so the story of Jack, I was a little wee lad, probably three years old. And it was, I was in Bogota at this point. And my uncle, Oscar, shows up one, one evening. And there's all this commotion downstairs. And I, like, come downstairs. And, you know, I don't have a lot of memories from when I was little. But, like, this is a clear memory. He's come with all these puppies. He's got, a, like, a litter of, like, five puppies. And I've never seen puppies. I, at least this is the first time in my life I remember seeing puppies. And they're so cute. Such cute little things. And maybe I was five. I was little. I was teeny. You know, I was like a little kid. And I see these puppies and I'm like, what is happening with all these puppies? And he's like, well, it's just this dog we know just had this litter. And so I'm, I'm giving one to you. And I was like, oh my God. So I got to pick a puppy. And I, I got this little one. And it was a little boy puppy. And at first it didn't have a name. Cute little kind of black, black no muzzle. Muzzle, you say? Nozzle? Muzzle? little front of the nose part and then like uh light gray brown or light brown uh fur and he's a mutt like a half quarter german shepherd quarter something quarter something quarter something but he's super cute well uh like first couple days we have him he's sitting there and in the kitchen and all of a sudden i see his he's he throws up Blah, you know he throws up and i'm like ah gross and then he starts licking it up and I don't know, this is what dogs do, right? So I'm just like, oh, yuck! Because I spoke Spanglish at the time because I had learned English. and I, So I would say some words in English, even though this was... So imagine I'm talking in Spanish. Uy, que asco! Yuck! And then I say, oh, that's what we should call him. Yuck! <laughs> but yuck became yak because my grandma didn't really know the word yuck. So she's like, yak? Okay. His name is Yak. <laughs> Lo llamamos Yak. Oh, my so God. So, that became my dog, Yak. <laughs> well, Yak is another appropriate term. Yeah, Yak. Uh, and then he was like my dog, and it was super sweet. Uh, he would wait for me when I got home from school. He was there. I loved him so much. Very sadly, uh, a couple of things, some of the most vivid memories I have are actually sad memories because, one, every year at Christmas and New Year's, uh, the tradition was that fireworks would be lit everywhere. And the fireworks were everywhere in the city, and they were so loud. And my poor dog would all but have a heart attack each time. It was so bad. He was so scared, shivering the whole time. And nothing we did could, like, comfort him. We'd, like, try to wrap him, to hold him, nothing. And I just remember how much suffering he was in every single year. And the second one was he – we think he must have been poisoned by someone 
trying to maybe like rob the place or something because one day he came back from the outside and he started shaking and throwing up a lot and getting really sick and he got so sick we had to put him down uh, so it was a super sad he also could have eaten like rat poison or he something. might have too yeah so we really loved him he was with me for many years uh for you know at that age when you're little years are eternities right so yeah. for me it fe- i felt like i had him all my life kind of thing you know right. but it was probably only like five years or something where did it go to the bathroom um so we had a common thing in in bogota you have these like open patios oh. where you rinse and wash and stuff and it's got a little drain so he'd go there poopy there yeah okay there certainly was no yard but we'd let him out as well out of the street. Out into the street. And one of the sad things there, so too, So for people is, to visualize this, think of like a Manhattan street, essentially, yeah. where it's all concrete jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of the sad things is the uh, – I think the neighborhood dogs would also bully him. Uh-huh. So he sometimes would come back a little mangled up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So my first pet I – had, I had pets growing up, but we had a lot of pets in our house. My – older siblings loved pets and my dad did too. My mom wasn't too fond, but she put up with them. But yeah, we, I've had three dogs growing up. I've had many, many cats throughout my life and I had a rat and I even had, you had a rat. I had a rat. Like rat, rat, yeah. a hamster. So Weird. you never met Jackie, my old friend, Jackie, I don't think, but she gave me a rat as a gift, which was like when I was in college or, right. or just after college, when a time when I was not fit to take care of any, <laughs> any animals. She, she like shows up with it because she had a, like a chinchilla and maybe a rat, but she gives me this rat and it had one eye. It, like, oh, it, no. So it was all white with, uh-huh. with pink eyes and one eye was like missing. Oh. And it, uh, she gives me this rat with this cage and i'm just like um okay thanks and she's like yeah so here's what you do and i'm like well i'm leaving town for a f- few days and she's like well you know just put the food in here and it, you know it should be okay so i do that i come back home and i see this mini uh, you know version of like alien going oh, on no. inside the cage it, it looked like this weird cocoon oh. organic situation. So so just wait. So I had put a T-shirt over the uh, cage to kind of keep the rat warm or I don't mm-hmm. know. Just I just it just seemed weird just kind of leaving it sitting out. So and what had happened was the rat was pregnant when, <gasps> when I got it. Okay. And the rat started having its litter, and the little tiny babies would fall through the grate because you know oh. these these cages have grates where the poo falls underneath, right? Right. And so the mother was trying to reach her babies. <sighs> oh no! And but when she would reach her babies, they'd just fall through again. Oh my god! But so this is all just me, you know, supposing. What a based, horror movie. So so then the rat. Uh, climbs up the the cage and starts pulling the shirt th- through the uh, ceiling. So yeah, through the hole. Through so the she's cage. yeah. So she's pulling the shirt through the top of the ceiling and pulls. Uh, eventually, gets enough down there, and then she gnaws a hole in what she has pulled down through the ceiling. Uh-huh. 
to create this little house, this little hanging uh-huh. house. And then she puts all the babies in that little pouch. Oh, wow. And then she managed to pull some of the of the little sawdust stuff uh-huh. to keep them warm, puts that in there with them. Oh, my gosh. And so I come home. How smart. Yeah. I come home and I see this rat has had babies, which I'm like, what? And then has created this like hammock out of my shirt through the ceiling of its home. And I was just blown away. What? That is crazy. I mean, I knew rodents are smart, but that's tool making and like, you know, like habitat building. Out that's of- engineering. That's engineering, man. If you put me in a cage, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to figure that Your out. babies are dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. At first I thought it was this horror story. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad it didn't go there. I thought it was like the rat babies had died or something. Oh my gosh. Well, so fast forward to me going to the pet store going, uh-huh. what do you want to do with these extra babies? Yeah. And they're like, well, we'll probably just feed them to the snakes. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh, life sucks. You know, everyone was recently posting this picture of the black hole. Did you see? Yeah, of course. First black hole ever. Yeah. Well... Everyone was really excited about all of this. Not me, man. <laughs> it's like a black hole is this reminder of how the universe is not a human environment. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah that's right. I am the size of an incalculable sector of your reality and I will devour anything and you're meaningless to me. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be wonderful if we if we were the center of the universe and a god was paying attention to us personally. It'd be great, and you know maybe that's happening. But uh, but it'd be great if the world if the universe was smaller because then it would mean different kinds of things to our existence. But I once I figured out that the universe was essentially infinite. I take a great amount of pleasure in uh, really understanding that you know the the picture of the um gal of the black hole is actually a picture of it like 55 million years ago yeah dinos were still around right right so (laughs) it's not even something that's occurring right now yeah um and what we act we can't actually see the black hole obviously (laughs) what we're seeing is stars that are falling into it yep so uh or entire you know that could be a solar system like ours that got too close to that right. thing and they're they're being de- <laughs> like you know cuz it's one of the things that I think about it's like well okay I'm going to be dead but you know maybe this podcast will be listened to by some historian a yeah, thousand for, for a microsecond <laughs> you know like a thousand years from now this historian will be just be like um, you know, let's look at all the psychology podcasts <laughs> of the early 21st century and um, you know, I'll I'll just kind of browse that for for ten minutes. Right. You know, it's it's likely that this will. St- there's no reason why this wouldn't still be available. You know? Yeah, Zorgaborg will be making a universal podcast about podcasts of the Earthlings, and will f- briefly be featured as he realizes, oh no, we're being sucked up by a black hole. <laughs> right, but when you think about the uh, possibility of us being sucked into a black hole. It's like all evidence of us are just completely gone. Um, And of course, you know, the heat death of the the universe will happen eventually anyway, and then nothing will matter at all anyway. But uh, 
anyway, so yeah, I uh, had this rat. <laughs> And then I also had sea monkeys growing up in the back of a comic book. You can send yeah, away for sea monkeys. sea monkeys. And I got them in the mail, and I followed the directions. You, you pour them in a pitcher of yeah. water. You, you mix them up. You, you, you look in the thing. And after, I don't know, a little bit of time, you could see these, these little these, shrimpies. Th- there's little <laughs> shrimpies, like, swimming around. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, you know, there was, like, 20 of them or, I don't know, maybe more. And... And as I was watching them, I noticed that um, some of them were getting bigger. And then I looked at the bigger ones, and the bigger ones were eating the, oh. the, the smaller ones. And then it was down to two. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, well, what's going to happen now? And then, like, <laughs> one of them was bigger, and it ate the smaller one. Oh, gladiator. Oh, my gosh. And then I had one, oh. and then it died. And then that was that. And I was like, I'm never getting sea monkeys again. That's such a horrible story. But this is the problem. So we all grew up with Disney, right? Not Grimm's fairy tales. We grew up with Disney. So in our minds, you know, nature is cute. And like, and and bad guys get their comeuppance. And lions play with little zebras. And cute little babies get along. Everyone's great, you know? And that's our view of the universe. And then you start growing up, and a lot of us didn't grow up on farms, right? So we didn't actually see any creature of any significant size being butchered and killed. Uh, like, I grew up in a city, right? So the amount of death that I witnessed directly firsthand was like, all right, flies, let's swat those away, and mosquitoes, let's swat those away. Those were deaths I was accustomed to and comfortable with. As far as large animals, my dog getting put down was the first time I really like, what? And I wasn't even there. I, I wasn't there when they injected him, right? So I didn't even see it firsthand. But I guess if you grow up in a farm, you might have a little more direct experience about life and death. Yeah. I grew up next to farms, although I didn't see those kinds of things. I definitely heard a lot about it. And yeah. so I feel like I grew up with a much more country ethic. when it came, mm-hmm. and, I st- and I still kind of have that. Like, I'm very attached to my animals and... The worst thing that happened to me in this this last year was having to put my cat down. Yeah, um, it was the saddest, most busted up, most long fits of crying that I've had in a long time. Yeah, so I definitely get attached, but at the same time, I have an ethic of like, well, animals die. You know, they don't live right. as long as humans and. And it's horrible, but it's a part of life, and you just have to recognize the reality of that. And it's sad, and it's awful, but, you know, it's... Um... So actually, Christina, patron Christina, asked, I, I have a question about grief when it comes to pets. My cat, Smokey, has been sick for about six months now, and we just learned her kidney disease is terminal, and she's at the end of the road. Do you think it's silly to feel grief over pet dying or to hold traditional services like a funeral or burial like with humans? Is there a difference in the grief we feel towards people versus animals? Brito, what do you think? Right. So it's interesting. I uh, Similar to your case, when I lost my cat uh, because she got run over by a car. Yeah, Tiger Lily. Yeah. I wrote uh, a song about her. Yeah, actually, it was one of our songs in our album. Uh, she... I had grown so attached to her and I didn't realize it until she died. And I, and I, same thing, I broke down so hard. I couldn't believe it. Way harder 
than when I, and this is crazy, but like way harder than when I lost my grandma, for example. Like when my grandma died of Alzheimer's, I was uh, in this country. And when I found out, I was really devastated and sad, but not as much as I was when I lost Tiger Lily. How is that possible? My grandma raised me, right? Now, in truth, it's taken me all these years. She died in 2001, and I'm still actually processing my grandma's death. And I've had, you know, moments where I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's dead. You know, like these kinds of things. Whereas I feel like I've definitely uh, sort of gotten over my, my cat's death. But in the moment at the time, that pain was as real as it comes. Yeah, I don't like it when people do this kind of thing where they compare different griefs yeah. because it implies there's a quantitative evidence of emotional ex- expression. Sure. You know, as just in the tiny bit of description you just had there, you know, there are a lot of factors. One, when your grandma is old and has Alzheimer's, right. you are thinking, well, she's going to die soon. Yeah. When my grandma died at 101... Um, I had been preparing for her to die since she was 80. Right. <laughs> she asked, she, she told me what song to sing at her funeral when she was like 82 or something. Right. And so it's like, okay, so I started practicing this song. I've been practicing uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow for 20 years. Right. And, and thinking, is this the year? Is, you know, right. every uh, wedding and every uh, family reunion, it'd be like, well, is this the last one? And anyway. Well, and, and certainly just as humans, we know anything above 90, you're like, kind of mentally expecting it. Right. Yeah. So even 80, anything above 80. Is right. Like, yeah. So I, it was still really hard. Um, and, uh, but it's different because, yeah. And when your grandma's like super Christian, it's like, well, she either is or really thought she was going somewhere. Yeah. And so it just feels different. Whereas when your cat yeah. gets run over by a car yeah, and, you just know this defenseless little creature was uh, just trying to do her best, you know, yeah. I'm trying not to cry right now. And she, you know, that's why I wrote all for you about yeah. the cat because she's lying there as she's watching this. I just have this vision of like her, you know, her mangled body, you know, not to traumatize yeah. you. It's just like this, it's just like this car just driving this asshole fucking car. Yeah. And, and then she didn't die right away, right? So yep. it, it's like it takes a little bit. Yep. And it's that is rough. That's a rough death and a tragic one and unexpected and of an innocent little creature. And you know, people who get all weird about like why are people so up in arms about this animal when they don't care about humans dying? It, the, the, again, it's this. It's equating quantitative amounts, yeah. and a lot of times people say like people don't care about people, and it's like no, people care about people. They also just really care about animals, in the same way that you would care about <clears throat> an infant or a or a five year old boy, yeah, or girl. You know that they're innocent. They they don't know what life is, and and they are defenseless. You know, they're not. They're not grandmas who have been around the world a, a bunch of times, you know. Who got to live a life. And, and knew what was coming and right. welcomed it, you know, to some extent. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. When a cat is, they're just like, dopey doe, I'm enjoying my life. And all of a sudden, wham. It's, it, or, or even just with my cat a year ago, he started to develop uh, respiratory and, you know, heart problems. And, you know, he's just laying there. 
he can't really move and he's like peeing himself, but he's still kind of purring when he sees me. Yeah. And it's like, I can't communicate. He doesn't know what's happening. No. You know, he's just like, you know, you just wonder like what's going on in the, his mind. And then I have to like, and then, so the other thing about animals for us is like, we put them down. We put them down. It's all, it, it, to these days, they almost never just die yeah. naturally. In fact, a lot actually, of pe- it's likely that if uh, if Tiger Lily had made it to a vet, the vet would have recommended to put her down. Right. And because what are they going to do? Like her, she was probably crushed internally, you know. Right. So that's something that is really just oh, I mean, imagine taking your grandma right. to the hospital, like, and your and and your grandma's looking at you like she fell down the stairs. Where where are we going? And right. you're just like, we're gonna take a ride. You're like, holy crap! Right. right. You know that it's is a- <laughs> that is a decision that is traumatic to go through i can tell by i've done it um twice now for my i mean i've been a the leader of that choice twice now as a kid we went through it a few times but i wasn't like the right the leader and to have that weight on your shoulders when it's also not clear because there's you know it's like with tiger Lily, it's like well what if you know what if you spent 50 grand or whatever maybe she'd have another five years there's always that like well maybe because with humans you're like well just do everything you can right right and there's no well she fell down the stairs pull the plug you're yeah. just like you know let's just do everything you can and so now with humans there are some times when you actually do have to make that choice which is you know also awful but anyway my point is is that i don't like it when we so in your description about tiger Lily and your grandma right. um you wailed about Tiger Lily, I think, appropriately. Plus, it's like even if it's not appropriate, who gives a fuck? Yeah. You're, you're well, having I've been emotional spending experience. every day with Tiger Lily, not expecting. I mean, she was like only two years in. Really? You know, she was a two-year-old. Well, and yeah. with your grandma, you you are still thinking about her. You'll yeah. think about your grandma until the day you die. Yep. So it, you know, if we quantified that, it's like, well, then you grieved your grandma more than you grieved Tiger Lily. And as you said, like, you know, I spent, I, I left my grandma when I was 15 to move up here. So I was already grieving that loss yeah. or sadly not grieving it enough, you know, but uh, not knowing. Getting how used grieved. to not yeah, having exactly. her around. And I had seen her declining and it was, you know, one of those things, but still. <laughs> right. So that's so to answer your question, Christina, it's totally normal. Plus, even if it's not normal, anytime you have an emotion, it is right. Mm-hmm. Your body knows what it's supposed to do. It'd be mm-hmm. like saying, I feel like I have to take a shit. Is that right? <laughs> why would you why would you ask yourself that question? Your right. body has to go number 2, go to the bathroom. <laughs> when you are sad about losing something and you are crying a lot or you have this urge to have a traditional service, you don't you shouldn't question that. And and if anyone thinks it's abnormal or even if it is abnormal, it doesn't matter because right. it's not harming anyone. And your body feels the need, and so do it. Um, I've held semi-traditional um, services for my pets, and I think that it's one thing that people should do. It's not going to eliminate the pain, but 
to just unceremoniously just like, I don't know, well, I guess it's just a carcass, throw it in the in the garbage. For many people, that's not going to feel right. And so absolutely right. have a traditional service. Yeah, like I have Tiger Lily's ashes above my piano. Yeah. You know. Uh, for, I don't know if you remember Boo, but my other black cat that I had mm-hmm. 10 years ago, um, I had a service essentially by myself in my backyard and I buried oh. him in my backyard with like his favorite toys and oh. his favorite food and his favorite blanket and stuff. Yeah. And it was rough, you know, but I'm glad I did it, you know? Um, so yeah, hold a traditional service and fucking but, but, go to hell haters. Like if you're going to shame that, like really fucking go to hell. Yeah. Just go to hell. Uh, by the way, what did you, um, how did you deal with when you moved out of that place with saying bye to that, um, that grave? I had been there long, a, long, a, a number of years to mm. kind of let that okay. kind of be with me, I guess, and had figured that he had decomposed. Right, right. Yeah, and it's not- all that probably remained was... Little bone bone fragments. Well, all the the tin the you know the can of food I had in there. And, right, right. Um, and uh, plus, I didn't really want to tell the people who bought my house. Sure. <laughs> it's a pet cemetery with an A. <laughs> all right, so let's add, let's listen to some music though. Uh, so uh, we did another episode in which we talked about music, and I thought we'd do so again today because it's i just want to do it um we did an episode about our favorite music uh sung performed by men so i thought we'd just review that uh here's your first song berto by the way these are not the same order as before is this your number one this is my number one yes Yeah, such a great uh, song. I, I could have put this in my top <laughs> five as well, but so um, I put Yesterday instead. But yeah, it's just so beautiful. And I've mentioned before, when we talked about this before, part of the reason I would pick this one is it's the very first Beatles song I learned to play. Oh. My cousin taught me this one on his Yamaha organ. And I, so I actually learned where you know I, had, I was playing the bass with my left foot and then playing the chords with my left hand and then playing the melody with my right hand on the upper keyboard. Wow. It was really cool. Um, And it's about him, Paul, having a dream about his mother who had died when he was a teen, similar to John's mother. And she came to him in a dream and said, uh, let it be. Yeah. Um, You know, Mother Mary came to me. It's just very... It sounds like a gospel song because it's in that style. But the lyrics are real. Yeah, you know, let it be. And it's it's a uh, it's sort of a good advice, good good message, you know. Yeah, just let it be. Paul's Paul's dream uh, made some sense. So uh, I'll just start with my with my number one. Also from a dream. <laughs> Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday 
suddenly. Just a beautiful uh, song. It the guitar is actually deceptively hard to play. Yeah, it's a it's a very he actually tuned the guitar strangely. Yeah, um, and one and he's two, playing it like if it were a G chord, but the song is an F. Right, <laughs> and he's also doing this. Uh, you know, he's doing the bass with his thumb, and then he's he's up uh, up plucking with his two fingers on some of the on some of the higher strings. Right, so it's like dong ding 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 dong ching ching ching, and it's. It, I've tried to do it. It's like really hard yeah. to do. <laughs> he was a he was a great musician all around. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, also, a song that came to him in the in a dream. At least the melody did. Yeah, and you know, I, I would have certainly like if I didn't have the special connection to let let it be. I probably would put this one first. Yeah, because it is such a perfectly written song. Yeah, I. I've we already talked about this to some extent, but just to summarize, I have loved this song probably since I first heard it when I was like a an infant, because I, I, it was yeah. it's been popular throughout my childhood, right. and so I suspect I heard it early. I remember liking the song when I was a young kid, yeah, uh, and then obviously liking it as an older person as well. And it's just so perfect. It's this perfect melody. It's uh, sad and intimate and down to earth. Yeah. It's there's no pretense. It's just Paul singing and then there's some very subtle, tasteful George Martin uh strings that he puts in there and it's short. It's another thing yeah. that I like about it. Um so yeah. But uh the other thing I have a connection to the song about is that I um went in London to the house that he uh, wrote this in. Uh I I, it's Jane Asher's house, I think. And uh, I sat on the steps and uh, oh, just absorbed that moment right there. Uh, Beautiful. With, with my wife looking at me like, my God, this guy really loves the Beatles. <laughs> okay, your, your number two is... Imagine there's no heaven Yeah, a great song. Uh, so good. I mean, it's funny too because in, in a lot of arrangements like that, you would have expected the drums to come in after the first chorus, you know? Right. But the, they come in where it comes in. So interesting. Uh, this is a song that when I heard it on the radio, I think it was probably when he got killed right around that time because I remember they start playing it a lot. It's like 1980, right? Yeah. He, he got shot. Yeah. Because I was, so I was five. And I remember like hearing this song on the radio. Late 1980, year or five? Uh, uh, no, I was almost five, almost six, I guess. Yeah. So I was born January 28th, right? So Oh, you're almost six. Yeah, I was almost, so I remember hearing it on the radio and being like so moved by it, and not really understanding the lyrics too much, just the general sense of like, yeah, I imagine. But so simple, so beautiful. Interesting point, both Let It Be and this one, both in the key of C, both very simple progressions. And yet, some of the most beautiful music. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great song. Um, I, I don't think I ever really noticed the production until now listening on headphones. The When the drums and bass come in at the beginning, it's a really excellent production where... You know, you think it's got to go da da ba da ba, but it's like da 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 da. It's just like (laughs) just this dead end. Yeah, uh, and even the bass is a little dead end. You know, they they just stick with the piano and and you know they don't want to interfere with that. But yeah, there's there's something really romantic about this song. It, It was recorded in the video was recorded at a time when John still had that twinkle in his eye. I think. Yep. He was uh, just coming out of the Beatles, and he was living in that palatial, yeah. you know, place in London, I think. And you have this very uh, cute Yoko Ono sitting next to him, and it just looks very mossy and moist. And right. people don't like the word moist, but uh, <laughs> like, uh, like moist. <laughs> the the outside looks very. There's a lot of greenery. Yep. It looks like it rained recently. It's just it and has he's that, playing that white piano, and he's it just reminds white. me of my childhood a lot for some for some reason. But but yeah, it's it's a great track. Um, okay, so my number two is a song by REM from I think 1984. Did you never call? Waited for you. Of suggestion for driving me away. The trees were bent, the cities wash away, the city on the river comes a girl without a dream. So this yep. song, when I heard it when I was 15, 16 years old, it was totally mind-blowing to me because it was melodic and dark and rocky at a time when that sort of music didn't really exist. Yeah, it was ahead of its time. For I was sure. really looking for that. Now, for, for younger people and maybe even people your age, Birdo, R.E.M. is like stand in the place where you live. Yep. It's, um, you know, Leonard Bernstein. It's, uh, you know, Leonard, yeah. end of the world as we know it. It's, uh, you know, the suicide song, everyone, everybody, <laughs> everybody hurts. hurts. It's just you not, know. I don't actually love that song, but. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah. Like, so it pretty much everything after 1989, maybe 88, like, I can't really listen to that anymore. There's, there's this first four albums by R.E.M. that every track to me is, like, in that zone where, they were still kind of like retaining this ethic of we're not trying to appeal to the mass audience. I yet, see. Yeah. At at, they crossed the line at a certain point. They sort of embraced selling out to some extent. Hmm. In fact, the album for this song, so R.E.M. Uh, was with IRS Records, and IRS Records was kind of big. And, and they're like, you know, you got to make a video for your music. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. Because MTV is like, that's, right, that's right. the way you sell records. Like they're like, okay, but we're not going to make a video. We're going to make a live show that you're going to record. So they recorded a live uh, recording. Oh, they like set up all the recording equipment, yeah. and they they actually performed the song live. But it but which it, song? This song. Oh, this song. Okay. But if you 
watched it, you would think it because they they did it so closely to the recording, you would think it was the actual song, but in reality, it was because they were so oh. anti anti fakery. Because the 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 first time I ever remember coming across REM, except maybe I had I probably had heard one of their songs on the top forty, but not kind of remembered. Oh yeah, REM. But it was losing your losing my religion, right? So, I still kind of liked them by that point. Yeah. Like I, I, and I still kind of like that song. But to me, that song really was beyond a certain threshold sure. that to me is not so appealing to me anymore. But I can still to this day listen to every song on those first four albums and just like this song and just be like, give me more of it. I just love it. There's something about the the baseline. And the the drums are great, and the guitar is great. But Michael Stipes' uh, choice in uh, melody is, and I think it's it's also like people younger people today they won't be able to hear it because so many people copied him. Sure, <laughs> but at the time, you know, I'm sorry. That last note is not in. It's not in the chord. He's hitting a he's hitting a note just out of the chord just below. He should be singing the note. Uh, the next note higher, which is the more consonant note, but he's he's always kind of like trying to drag it down a little bit to mm. some. He hits the note and it doesn't yeah. sound out of tune, but it's definitely sadder. Yeah, and he purposely, you know, in you know, for those of you who want to know a little bit about music, you know, theory, you have Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. Da 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 da. We you have we to solve it. You have to <laughs> solve, and occasionally solve it even in the middle of the phrase. Right. You have to land on that on that tonic note. You have to land on the base the of the key. Because other, if you go, you know, Mary had a little, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. Mount a seed of snow. Like it, it, it you're like, like where are you what? headed? <laughs> like you, you're not ending. You know, wet a seed of snow. You know, yeah. like you have to end there. Uh, Michael Stipe <laughs> never did that. He hated. You could tell he hated that, and I hated that too as an early songwriter when I was in high school, and just loved the the soulfulness of that writing that, that he had. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I, so it's, it's, it's funny about this song that when you played it, um, I, the verse I didn't recognize, but I definitely recognized the chorus. So I must've heard it back in the day, but it, it like, I didn't know enough. I didn't know them enough to remember it. Sure. All right, let's take a break and when we get back. Let's continue this rambly episode. What do you say? bro? Let's do it. All right, Umberto, if Paul McCartney circa Let It Be Sessions were to write and sing a song employing the listeners who aren't patrons yet to become a patron of the podcast on Patreon, because that's the way you show us that you love us, what would the song sound like, Berto? You have a choice. Wake up and see. You can donate. To every podcast for free, but not for free, cause you gotta pay, so give us your money today. So if anyone out there is a musician and you want to pull that uh, vocal <laughs> and put it to some background music, we would love to hear it. I think I, I did two different keys there. <laughs> so they have auto-tune. <laughs> 
So uh, actually, I want to go back to the question about pets because uh, they asked more questions about our pets. They asked, um, why are you a pet owner, Berto? Oh, okay. Well, um, I think, so I went through a period where I did not think I was going to be a pet owner again. And probably because of loss, because I had lost Jack. And then in high school, uh, my mom had a dog. And then eventually that dog had to be put down too and stuff like that. So I was kind of like done. You know, I thought I was done. Um, so Tiger Lily was an accident, actually. It was like, I mean, I kind of got her and then I fell in love with, because I never even wanted cats to begin with. But once I fell in love with Tiger Lily, I thought, okay, actually, this is really nice. You have these little companions. They're there for you. You are their world. Unconditionally, they love you, you know? And uh, as long as you treat them really nice and, and, and fairly, you guys can have a really nice relationship for a few years. Um, you, you know, they might not have existed if it weren't for you. And they certainly could have a much harsher existence out in the wild or, you know, in captivity somewhere or something. So, so I, I guess it brings you a little bit of happiness because you can provide a comfortable experience for this creature. And then in return, this creature can, you know, nuzzle up to you and purr and let you scratch them or whatever. <laughs> and then scratch your legs viciously and bite them and make you bleed and have scars to this day to prove it. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I always have lots of scars on my hands from my, cause I like to play with them and then they get me. Yeah. Well said. The question could be expanded to like, why do you have family members or why do you have children or right. why do you have friends? Why do you get married? It's the same question. It's like, you don't need to get married. Right. You don't need to have kids. You don't need to hang out with your family members. It's not quote-unquote practical. Your house would be cleaner if you lived by yourself and didn't have any pets or any <laughs> or any family members and your friends neighbor never came over. Yeah. Um, but so that's why I have pets. Yeah. Because uh, for the same reason that I want a wife, <laughs> yeah. I, I have pets uh, because of relationship and attachment and... Yeah. mutual mutuality you know i give to my dog and cat so she they also asked what animals we have so i i have a cat michelle and i have a dog chloe and they also want to know about the personalities a little bit michelle is very loud she's the loudest she meows all the time <laughs> like when she enters a room, when she leaves a room. You might have heard her on the podcast yeah. from time when, to time. <laughs> when she sees you, when she sees the neighbor cat, when she wants food, when she's done with food, when, she, you know, just, she's just meow, meow. And, uh, and she, but she has different meows. Like, I can tell what she <laughs> means, you know, like some meows are like, she's scared. And some meow, she's like, dog, get away with me. And some meow, she's like, can I get in your lap? <laughs> and some meows are like, yeah, this is where I want to be. Like, she, she likes to be on my chest. Um, she she wants me to be laying down flat with, and she wants to be, to on, be on my chest. She, and she wants to be as close to my face as possible. Yeah, like they can't, they almost want to get inside your face. It's yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Chloe is great. She's a very well behaved dog, although she does like to eat people's food. 
off their plates if it gets to <laughs> to you know to snout level. She is yeah, she's very well behaved. She's very nice. She likes to be pet on her butt. You know, she sort of turns around and says like, "Pet me on my butt." <laughs> um, she's getting older, so she has less energy, but. Uh, she like I can get her riled up sometimes. She li- she likes to kind of play and go running around, and um, I'll chase her around the yard and stuff. And sh- she likes to do that. Um, but it's actually really sad because she has this really horrible seizure condition. Oh! And about once a month, like clockwork, she'll have this uh, you know spate of several seizures, like oh. full full seizures where she's on the <laughs> ground, uh, you know, wailing and. All every muscle is tensed up, and her mouth is wide open, Ugh. and she's uh, she's peeing like like shotgun pee everywhere all oh, over no. all over the house, and she's pooing everywhere, and she's rolling around in her pee and her poo and her saliva, and sometimes she bangs her head, she starts bleeding, and it's pretty awful. I mean, we have horrible. it we have it down. Me and my wife have it down to a science now, where we uh, have our system and. We've taken her to multiple doctors, and she's been on multiple different medication regimens. Um, we've had her on a raw diet for a while, and that seems to be that seemed to work for a while. But everything we've done, it's like, oh, this seems to be working, and then it slowly stops working. Oh, um, we try. We've tried different kinds of diet things. We've tried. Um, I don't know. Anyway, but in between those times, she's great. Uh, yeah. And uh, some doctors are just like, well, with this kind of condition, she, you know, she's going to die soon. And she's been fine. And she's been having these seizures every month for the past four years or something. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, she she doesn't seem, her personality doesn't seem to be that different. It's hard to tell if she's getting older or. It's really weird that it's on a cycle. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's like every four weeks or something it happens. Um, and Do dogs, this is so dumb. So they don't have human menstrual cycles. That's, that's what I was. Right. No, I know, but they're not humans. But they do menstruate, right? Uh, or no? Yeah. Like, don't they menstruate? <laughs> like, I'm so dumb. Like, <laughs> that's a good question though, because it's like you don't normally see female. Right. But they they've been fixed. So. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we probably yeah. Uh, but I don't, well, we should just say we just don't, we don't know the I answer to that question. <laughs> um, but what's about, what about your animal? Okay. So, uh, Tiger Lily was my first cat. Um, and she was actually an outdoor queen. She would every morning at like 4.30 AM was like, meow, meow, meow. Like, let me the fuck out of here. Like, couldn't wait. And if I didn't get up and let her out, it was like in, in suffer, uns, insufferable. <laughs> and you lived in what I would call a in, in a certain zone of your neighborhood. It was very residential and very yeah. and very quiet. But like right outside of that was this very yeah. very busy thoroughfare road, one block over. And it's in fact, where she got hit, non surprisingly. Uh, but she would go out and stay out for a stretch of, t- of time. She would bring back dead animals, which I didn't realize for a while until one day I, I pulled up the, the welcome mat to clean, and I see all these dead little skeletons, and it was like finding out your son or daughter is a serial killer or something. 
It was really traumatic. But uh, she anyways. would put it under the mat. Yeah, like little gifts or something. But she would pick the mat up and put it under the mat. Well, she'd probably stuff them down there, you know, like with her little paws or something. <laughs> um, I don't know how she did it, honestly. But so she was a rambunctious, like meowed a lot, loved to play, super high energy. And of course, she was young and was a huntress, man. She would just go out and, you know. My second kitty, and by the way, after she died, I, I thought I was like, I'm done. I was too hurt. I couldn't handle it. But a friend of mine, Dave, <laughs> he goes, hey, man, I, uh, do you want another cat? And I'm like, uh, not really. It's like, well, how about I bring, him by, bring her by? You can see. I'm like, okay, fine, I guess. So he brings by two cats. He told me one on the phone. And one of them is a little older. Like she might be a year and a half or maybe two years older. Or two years old. And then the other one is like a baby, like brand new, like a month or something. And he's like, yeah, why don't you take both of them? I'm like, no, listen, I'm not sure I'm taking any cats. I'm not taking two cats. And, but he's telling me like, yeah, I just don't have time for them. So I have to like, I put them under my clothes hamper at night. And I'm like, what? That's horrible. I think he was trying to get me to get him too. Yeah. So he probably, because he was like desperate to... So I told him, look, I'll take that little one because it looks like she's traumatized and she's malnourished. So we'll, you know, we'll see what we can do here. And so I'm like, all right. So I took the little one and she was teeny. Like her head was so big compared to her body. I really thought like she's not getting enough food. And she was so scared of everything. So for the first, I don't know how long, she would hide behind my washer and not come out. And I, 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 I like the only thing that I could get her to come out with was like with food, but only briefly. And then she'd go back and hide there. And she would not warm up to strangers. She was just like super skittish. This took a long time. And nowadays, and she never wanted to go outside, by the way. Like I thought, oh, she's going to try to. No, she never wanted to go outside. <laughs> never asked to go outside. Never tried to go outside. So she became an indoor cat from day one. Slowly but surely, we developed a relationship She's the one that damaged my skin beyond recognition. Right. So <laughs> this cat, I, I remember the cat warming up to me pretty quick. And I remember the the routine that the cat likes to do yeah. is you, you start petting the cat. And then she, what's the cat's name? Tara. Tara. Terracata. Terracata, yeah. <laughs> so then uh, Tara likes to roll over on her, on her, her side, back, her yeah. back, which sort of compels you to rub her tummy, which yep. she kind of likes. And then she wants to attack. <laughs> like it, it, it's like the same routine every, every time. single time. You pet her, you know, she comes to you, or she's, oh no. So first off, she wants to run, but you have to like, you have to do your cat whispering a right. little bit. And so I'm like, no, kitty, come here, you know. And then the cat's like, oh, okay. And then comes up, and then the cat, there's a little bit of purring, a little bit of. A little bit of petting, you know, it's like normal kind of stuff. Right. And then eventually she just flops on the ground. Yep. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, okay. And then you start rubbing the tapelli and then, and then you're like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden just like. Claw, claw. Yeah. Claw and mouth. <laughs> and mouth. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> it's like the plan worked. And then I, I would be walking around at night, like kind of in the dark and out of nowhere, 
some ninja would attack my leg. Um, she's definitely calmed down in these last few years. She's getting older. You know, this is now, oh, wait, I, I think she's like 11 eight. years old. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And she not, doesn't play much anymore. Like, I try the laser, and she'll lazily, while sitting on the floor, reach out with one paw. But if the laser goes beyond paw reach, she doesn't really deal, <laughs> deal with it. Um, uh, yeah, the other pet oh, I, I should just mention that I had that was very significant to me was my dog Pfeffer when I was a kid. Uh, a small a miniature German or miniature Schnauzer uh, with the they're, they look like a terrier, but they're all gray and they have they often will groom them to have beards. And, really? And puffy eyebrows. Weird. Yeah. And uh, I mean, not they don't look like man. Beards. No, no, no. I know. But like they have a little hair. That, yeah, <laughs> they, they groom. They usually groom their hair real short and they actually okay. will cut their tail and her her tail was cut. And she was the smartest most wonderful dog in the whole world. She could read your mood. She she literally did a thing where my little brother had wandered off and the dog had come to my mom and was like barking in a way that, that my mom was like, oh, I think the dog's trying to tell me something. Hmm. And then eventually figured out the dog was telling us that Kevin was, you know, was lost. Lassie. And yeah, and Kevin was like a year and a half at the time, and so <gasps> oh my and, god! So so my mom, you know, uh, follows the dog like down the street, literally like a Lassie episode. Yeah, and the dog's like, you know, Kevin's here. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, what a not, I mean, what a smart creature, you know. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Like some dogs, I mean, I think all dogs are very smart. Um, I think cats are pretty smart too about the things they want to be smart about. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, dog dogs. A lot of dogs are real smart, and some dogs I think are are indistinguishable in terms of intelligence. Is like a like a ten year old kid. They just can't talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um. Anyway, so that let's, is let's crazy. Let's listen to another uh, one of your songs here, Berto. Uh, this is your number three song. Beautiful song. Scarborough Fair, Simon and Garfunkel. So the deal with this one is um, I was 11, 12. I was 12, I think. And I had taken a trip to come visit my mother from Columbia. And on the way up, uh, and I guess on the way down, really, but both times, I stopped in San Francisco because an aunt of mine lived there. She no longer lives there. And you've met – oh, did you meet this aunt? can't remember. Oh, yeah. You did. Okay. Wait. She wasn't in Bogota this last time. No, you didn't get to meet her. That's right. Anyways, but she was living in San Francisco, and uh, she at the time was married, and it was I just loved her. She was like my second mom, really, because when I was uh, in Colombia when I was three, she also, like my grandma, took care of me for a year before she moved to the States. So it was a really special visit, and she gave me this tape 
where half of the one side of the tape was Simon and Garfunkel like greatest hits essentially and the other side was 50s greatest hits like songs from the 50s like wake up little Susie you know these kinds of songs I played this tape so much like over and over and over and when I was listening to Simon and Garfunkel man when this song came on I had never heard it before I didn't know what I was listening to because like the harmonies the intricate melodies blending together the counterpoint I was like transported yeah I couldn't I didn't know what the song was about I didn't know it was a remake of an old you know medieval song or anything I just knew this is some other level music and I could listen to the song forever. It was definitely one of my island songs. So this song is not in my top ten, but it's it's close. And and it and it's a it's such a rare thing to have these kinds of harmonies in music that is really good because right. you, you can't just have good harmonies that, that, with a shitty song. Right. You have to have a really great song. And and not, and also not really great, not necessarily great harmonies, but great harmonies that blend, yeah. which is actually harder than people think. Uh, but this is a band called First Aid Kit that I love. So another Swedish band, by the way, <laughs> uh, two sisters who are, uh, you know, they they be- actually became f- YouTube famous because oh. they covered a um, a Seattle band song. Um, oh, I'm uh, God damn it! But a a band that actually used to practice next to my band downtown, oh, really? <laughs> and I can't remember the name of the band, but they. Uh, they're in the woods in like Sweden and oh, weird. they, they do this and they, they arrange the song differently and did different harmonies. Huh. And it's just these two girls in flannel shirts singing in the woods. And then they became, you know, internet famous. And then they, they started to, you know, wow. write music and as, as teenagers. And then now they're gigantic first aid kit. I've seen them live and I went right up to the front. The one thing about seeing, soft bands like this is the fans tend to move out of the way more easily <laughs> than when you go to like a heavy metal band or something. Right. <laughs> and so I, I'm, so at the Moore theater, I, I went right up to the front and that stage is actually not that high up. No, it's not. So I'm like 
I could touch their feet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and they're a pretty big band. I mean, you know, they sold out the Moore Theater. You know, that's a wow. big enough, pretty big venue. But, but anyway, so when I think about those kinds of harmonies, like Simon and Garfunkel, it's like not a lot of people do that. And right. I've been fantasizing recently about actually just finding someone to sing with and to just sing these kinds of songs. You know, it's just like try to figure out a way to really blend well. I mean, I... I had a, you know, my friend Danny, right. we, we kind of did that for a while, but his voice is different than mine. And so I was trying to figure out to find someone that had a voice like really similar to mine, mm. you know, and really try to lock into those two part harmonies. You know? Which is weird about Simon and Garfunkel. I, I mean, I guess both of their voices are soft, right? Yeah. But individually, if you, if you listen to each of them sing by themselves, they, they're quite different. Right. But, but they blend with they each blend. other. So well, right? I don't like, like I in actually, Scar- like in Scarborough Fair. There are times when you can't tell which one's singing, and it sounds like a choir. Right. I don't know if they how many overdubs or what they did, but like it's just two, right? And like when you listen to it live, it sounds like that. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, here's my number three. Oh. It's just so oh. beautiful. I mean, it's Depeche Mode, which is oh. great. And the arrangement's so great, and the energy is so great, and the mood is so great, and his vocal performance is so great. And well, this is how I love his voice best, by the way. Yeah. Because in late latter years, he started trying to get edgy and stuff like that. And I just think this is his voice at its best. And their musical arrangement. Yeah. You know? Like in their later more years, they're trying to make more grungy or yeah, music yeah. and it's like just you know how to play music with keyboards not a lot of bands right like i don't know of another band other than maybe Eurasia, but i i still think depeche mode is better than them on this is that the ability to play to have like multiple uh you know keyboard parts with different timbres playing in sync with each other that um make it like a symphony you know what i mean like let's listen to a little bit well, more. i mean you know it starts with Vincent Clark, and I think but he his, just goes in a different direction. Well, he, so his style definitely is great, but like the Eurasia style is more vocal focused. Sure. Like this song, yes. you don't have to listen to the vocals at all right. to enjoy this song. And in fact, the, yeah. Oh, God, God, it's Well, and this isn't even as advanced as by the time you get to Violator. And you have the the like music an, an, intricacy and sound and production effects. is so perfect. Yeah, which by the way, so I love Vincent Clark, no questions. But if you hear his instrumentals, they're not in the same vein at all. No, like, uh, and they're great, but yeah, not like the multiple layers no. that that this is. Well, I'd say I, I'd actually say they're even more layered, but not. 
they're not as as carefully crafted in that sense, the, as delicate me, as this stuff. To me, it's like I there are sometimes I listen to this song and I just say I want to listen to just that one keyboard part. Yeah. through this whole song, like that's the part I'm going to listen to, just that one voice. Yeah, and I'm not going to listen to anything else because I yeah. just want to enjoy the story yeah. of that one voice. Whereas with Eurasia, I wouldn't do that. Right. I wouldn't be like, I want to listen to that one keyboard, right. you know, voice. I, I'm reacting to the fact that like he he is a genius when it comes to programming. He, you know, he kickstarted Depeche Mode. He has done stuff with those keyboards and synthesizer. That's crazy. But you're right. He, he, it's all in service of the vocals. Right. And and it's a little more camp, and it's all these kind of things. Uh, Depeche Mode, the only other band that I know did this, but not just with keyboards. They did it with real instruments plus some keyboards, was The Cure. Because they also had this like intricate weaving of these melodies that was so beautiful. Right. Um, yeah, I have a Cure song. So, so the other day I was like trying to make a playlist of my top 10 songs, which blossomed into my top 100 songs. <laughs> and so The Cure made it into that list. Um, let's go on to some more well, emails. Sorry, I should point out that um, I made two lists when you asked me to do this. I made my my uh, classic Berto list, and I made my modern Berto list, and this song, But Not Tonight, was my number one in my modern Berto list. Ah. <laughs> um, okay, so people wanted us to talk about Gripes of Wrath. Uh, I have a gripe, and maybe you can think of one, Berto. All right. I'm getting tired. Uh, so when I go to other countries, the first thing I see is that in other countries, the, the credit card readers are all uniform. Mm. I don't know if they're all made by the same company or what, but, this, but the style and the procedure <laughs> is identical. <laughs> like in France, it, it's, it, and it's, they, they, at some point, someone stepped forward and said, look, there's too many di- different card readers. Let's just uniform it, and then right. and, and let's pick a style that really fits for everyone. And what they did is they they picked a style of card reader that's actually portable, so you can hold it in your hand, um, and you can also like tape it to the counter. Right. You can also uh, bring it to a table of a at a restaurant or something. So it's and it's everywhere. It's the same. It's the same style of receipt. You know, it's when I would do it, even a foreigner, I knew the procedure. Uh, Bogota, it was the same way. It was right. generally always Pretty the standard. same kind of. In fact, it might have been the same reader <laughs> in in France, United States. It's like <laughs> wild, wild west. Different uh, QFCs will have different card readers. Right. Some card readers have different ways. You know, you have the swipe, and then you have the, the chip. The chip, and then sometimes you sign, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you press this button, and sometimes you it asks you if you want a receipt, and so it's like, and it's a gas station. You have to type in your pit, your zip code. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Like, how come we can't get together and just decide on one model? It's not that hard. It would <laughs> it would save businesses a lot of money right. and time because there wouldn't be this lag of like uh you know cashiers out there, people who work as a cashier, tell me that you're not annoyed with people not understanding how to use <laughs> your card reader. Right. You know, you're you're watching them use your card reader and they run into that point where it's just like they need to pull that little stylus out and sign it. 
and they don't know it yet because they're not paying attention. You're like, oh, you have to sign it. Like, wouldn't it be nice if everyone knew exactly what to do <laughs> all the time and it was faster? That's another thing. A lot of card readers in the United States, it takes forever. Right. Like, uh, insert, uh, takes some time, oh, dialing. Con- it's like... It's like, couldn't you pre-dial? Like, can't you we've, stay we've connected? We've been having some issues with our card reader today. That's a very common one. God, <laughs> it just drives me nuts. Berto, do you have a gripe of wrath? Oh, yeah. Oh, you're wondering what you're going to think about this one. So, I was thinking about this. Like, I've been very, 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 very distressed and annoyed and frustrated by what's happening with politics right now with, with Trumpy. And, I, I mean... The one thing that I realized recently, just the last few days, in fact, was that just like the mob is really good at breaking and finding bugs in a system, that's what's, that's what's Trump, Trump's superpower is that, is that like when you think of the mob, like you and I don't, don't behave in this way where if, if you and I are downtown Seattle and we're walking around, I don't like nudge you and go, hey, Kirk, you notice how... They leave that door open for like 10 seconds while they load that car in. I bet you if we wait till they're, they're done with that, we could swipe that bag that's on the edge there. Like our brains don't, don't work this way, right? Like if you and I were going to sit there and figure out how to make some illicit money, you know, in the next week, we, we'd probably really have to rack our brains, do some internet searches because we don't like immediately gravitate to this. But mobsters, are really good at finding these little gaps in society where, where they can figure out, oh, no one's paying attention over here. They're bug finders. They're testers, essentially. And they find all these bugs and they exploit them. Well, here we are in a situation where it's like, for the first time, we have someone in, in the presidency that's going, well, what if we just don't comply with that thing? Oh, I know they just asked for that. What, just say no. Just don't do it. What are they going to do? And like, he's finding all these bugs in the system. Like, what if I just, what if I just don't permanently appoint someone that, that the Senate has to confirm? What if I just have acting everyone? Everyone's acting. I can fire, fire them at will. I, I appoint them. They, they'll just be acting. I find these bugs. No one's going to call me on it. And like, this is what's happening. He's found all these bugs in the system. Interesting. Our first political gripe. That's yes. great. Um, I have another gripe here. Um, strangely, I don't have, oh, so this is in my notes. Strangely, I don't have any tech woes. I was actually, as I was thinking of different gripes to complain about today, I thought, you know, okay, what's going on with my computer? What's going on with my phone? And I'm like, wait a second. I don't think anything is going wrong. Did we talk about this recently? How computers have gotten a lot more to the point where it's okay? Well, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like with my phone, you know, so I have a Pixel 2. right. And my Pixel, well, I guess I could complain a little bit about the way it connects to my car randomly and in, in different ways every single time. Because <laughs> I have this, my Honda has this really complicated interface system that's supposed to be like totally easy and it's supposed to like be seamless and right. always supposed to work. And it like, it always acts strangely. <laughs> like it's, it never reacts in the way that. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I have navigation. Like, that's weird. <laughs> and, like, other times it's like it'll just randomly turn off my uh, my audio and stuff. That's weird. But anyway, <laughs> so so I guess I can complain about that. But But usually there's always something about my phone and definitely about my computer, like, 
about my browser. Like I remember there was some problems with Firefox for a while. Right. And I was like, well, should I go to Chrome? And then I'd go to Chrome and Chrome. Yeah, did you know Chrome? Okay, let me bitch about Chrome for a second. <laughs> there is no way on Chrome to have your bookmarks displayed. So one of the things that I do uh-huh. to when I'm browsing is I, I have that, that open window on the left side of my browser that lists all my bookmarks. Oh, okay. But, and I have hundreds of bookmarks. I can you imagine. You know what I mean? I have like old bookmarks that sometimes, like sometimes I, I'll buy, oh, like I went to Zappos, for example. Uh-huh. And so I need to, I keep a little code next to my book bookmark telling me what my password is. Mm. It's like an abbreviation. And so I go to that as a way of knowing how to log into Zappos. Um, also to let me know I already have an account. Because sometimes right. you go to a site, you're like, do you I try already? to log in with a new account? It's like, you already have an account. And, oh, shit. You know, so <laughs> it's like this bookmark system. Plus, like, there's certain places I go to much more frequently than others, you know. Right. And so on Firefox, there's this ability, you know, like where you have the history on the left side, you can also have the bookmarks display. Yeah. Well, on Chrome, there's no way to do that. And huh. I've looked into it. There's not even... So Chrome doesn't allow it, like Google doesn't allow it uh-huh. like as a native function. And there's no plugin that is viable. Which I Weird. find which I find to just be like really, really odd. really dumb. Like why? It's such an yeah. easy thing. It's it's like it would take a coder literally like a week to develop really that weird. to develop a stable system for Chrome to be all you'd have to do is like well, how does Chrome do it, yeah. you know? Or how, how does, does Firefox, Firefox do it? it? Just, yeah. just okay, just port that over to Chrome and, you know, make it Chrome compliant and, yeah. and boom. And people wouldn't have to do it if they didn't want to. Right. Like, and it's not like Chrome doesn't have bookmarks. Right. You have bookmarks, but the only way you can access them is if you pull up the page that has all your bookmarks. Right. Or it's that top banner uh-huh. And that only holds like a limited number of bookmarks in terms of what you can display. I guess what you could do maybe is open up the page that has all your bookmarks and then decouple that tab out and just put that as a side page. I guess, you know? but but if I clicked on it within that side page, it would right. open up a window in right. that side page, yeah, yeah. not yeah. in the No, main... it will not target your main page. Right. <laughs> right. That's like, it doesn't yeah. work, you know? Yeah. Why and why? Why do I have to? It's 2019. Right. Why can't Google and Chrome <laughs> and 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 if, I've been looking. I've been because I've I've been trying to get rid of Firefox for years. I've been trying to go to Chrome for a uh-huh. long time because I, I I use Gmail. I use a lot of Google you know products, and I'm like, well, I guess I should be using Chrome. Plus, it just seems like Chrome probably should have a better product. I right. don't know. Um and. Uh, so for probably six years, I like once a year, I'll go back on the internet to find out if they've added that function, and, <laughs> and they have that. it. Oh man! And and and, and there are, there are pages of people going like, why doesn't Google have this? <laughs> I mean, am I a rare person to be using this functionality? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, do you use it? No, <laughs> but I mean, you. What are, do you do for bookmarks? I, I I mean I don't use I I have bookmarks or that are just ten t- years old, but or I you don't just type it. in everything that you do like. Yeah, pretty like much. You just type in Google at the top, or you type in Gmail when you try to go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it be easier if you went to a bookmark that was <laughs> just so. sitting there right <laughs> to your left? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't doubt your case is common, so I'm surprised. Especially considering Firefox has a solution for this, I'm really surprised. And has I've been using Firefox for 
12 years. Right. I'm this thinking? isn't a recent idea someone had. <laughs> right. And bookmarks have been around forever. Right. <laughs> so, and I'm guessing Chrome has a history window they on do. the left. So, well, not on the left. Oh. They have an, like, you can expand a history view. Oh. Which that one is annoying to me too, because you can click it and it shows you a few, and then you can click again to see like all of them, you know. Uh, but I kind of just want I want one click that shows me all, and I can scroll or something. Right. Anyways, that sounds frustrating. I have another gripe with Rat though. Okay. All right. So, uh, have you recently been on a ferry, like a large ferry with cars, like the car ferries? Uh, in the last couple years yeah <laughs> so i recently went to victoria yeah and you take this big ferry from anacortes to go there and then you take it back and you can also take the one from downtown Seattle. yeah there's there's multiple ways together you can go to vancouver and go over you can go to port angeles and go over. so but this time i did the anacortes one or the so you drove anacortes? to anacortes or port townsend anacortes anacortes yeah anacortes or an- like, anacortes yeah all the way on the peninsula it's like an hour and a half away right on the other side of the water? Yeah. Are you sure you're not think, thinking like the Stanwood one? What, what, what's that one called? <laughs> I don't know. It's Anacortes. <laughs> okay. Maybe you're right. Anyways, but the point is, uh, I'm in this ferry, right? And they keep announcing over the intercom, will the owner of the silver BMW please turn off your alarm? Okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Anacortes. Anacortes right? I was I was thinking I was mixing up Anacortes with something else. Oh, okay, uh, but you're right. Anacortes is just north of Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then okay, and then a few like you know ten minutes go by, and then over the intercom. Will the owner of the black BMW please return to your car and turn off your alarm? And they keep doing this. There were at least three BMWs on the way to Victoria. All BMWs. All BMWs. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the way back from Victoria, two more BMWs. What? I don't know if it's that the BMW alarm systems are super sensitive. Oh, that must be it. I don't yeah. know what the deal is. Maybe there's not enough Mercedes in this area. I don't know. But for some reason, multiple BMW owners offending in the same way with these alarms going off. <laughs> right. And this is particularly bad because this ferry is probably like a couple hours. It's three hours, dude. Yeah. So it's not like 20 minutes of a car alarm going off, right? It's, it's, it would be a bad situation. Right. And there's people that, I don't know why they would, but some people stay down in their car the whole time. Right. Which is weird. Why would you stay for three hours in a car? But, yeah. Well, oh, but they have pets. There's also pets. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the map right now, and it's totally mind-blowing to me that Victoria is further south than Anacortes. Oh, right. That doesn't make That's any... That's weird. So you have to navigate up for a little bit, but then you got to go down. So you navigate up through the San Juan Islands, you know, right. through Orcas, and then you head down. Down. Uh, well, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but at the very least, like, I would have thought I Victoria right. was, was directly north because it's Canada, but, yeah. but there's a... There's a, a sort of a an arm of Canada right. that, that this is Vancouver Island and it does dip down. Reaches down, yeah. When I was a kid, we my parents and I would go through uh we would go to Port Angeles and cross there. So uh, but that's because we were coming from Tacoma, so we would like drive right. all the way to Port Angeles. So I want to talk about some upcoming movies and stuff. So when this episode comes out, the new Game of Thrones will have already been released. Whoa. And uh 
so I hope it's good. Uh, but as we're recording this, we haven't seen season eight of Game of Thrones. Berto, are you looking forward to it? Well, absolutely, man. I, 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 I'm so sad. I want it. In my mind, I was going to marathon the entire series again to get ready for this. But now at best I can watch the penultimate episodes. <laughs> but what I did is I have been watching all these analysis videos on YouTube. Okay. And also clips on YouTube. Okay. And so I feel totally prepared. Like, You're ready? Actually, I kind of rec- – I know you don't like reading these like speculative mm-hmm. pieces about like what they think is going to happen because yeah. you want to have it be fresh. I kind of recommend watching – some of these YouTube speculations okay. because they give you a lot of history that I think, cause I think some, I know some serious stuff is going to happen in season eight. Right. A, a lot of people are going to die and some very, you know, cause the night King thing is going to happen. Yeah. And that whole thing is, you know, kind of a mystery. You know, if you just look at it from the surface, it's like, Oh, you have a zombie king who wants to kill everyone. Right. And it's like, no, it's way more complicated than that. And there's a lot of history to the Night King and yeah. and and like he there's there's like strong speculation that he's probably a Stark and that he probably is coming south to actually get the prince that was promised. Mm. There's like this whole thing. Right. And and I think some serious plot points are going to happen to resolve that whole thing that unless they really lay it out for us, which they might do, <laughs> like maybe Sam will fill us in somehow with some d- exposition. Be. But there's also like a lot of stuff that I had forgotten. So someone from the cast said, uh, make sure to rewatch the first episode of the series. <laughs> but I will say, I have this whole theory I made uh, last year when the last season ended or whenever it was. Uh, I had a couple of crazy thoughts that were, one of them is, I still, and fine, I'm probably going to be wrong, but I still don't believe that Ar- Arya Stark is still Arya Stark. I think it's the waif and it's not really her. Um, but why would she kill Wilder Frey? Why because would... they get revenge. Like we don't understand their full world. But why would the wave care about? She Wild... doesn't. They don't. Care. They just care about like contracts and 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 blood oaths and weird shit like that. But I, I don't think so. I one. I think that it was totally a viable theory when she was on the other side of the narrow sea. Mm-hmm. But once she started actually behaving in. Westeros, I, what would motivate the waif to uh, to do all the things that she's done so far? You know, it just doesn't. Plus, I don't think that the showrunners would write such a cheesy storyline. I think what I, I think it's totally not cheesy. I think it's a tragedy because we all want Arya but, Stark to kick some butt. But it would be like it would be akin to revealing it's all a dream but it's not because they literally i mean let me put it this way it doesn't make sense if it is aria because she wouldn't have been able to beat the wave at nearly death i agree she was and i and i think if the showrunners the the d and the d the the two davids i think I think if they could go back, they, they would, would have, have twe- tweaked that. Yeah, I think they. Okay. I think in in all the rigmarole as they were trying to shoot all the because it's a very complicated uh, sequence of scenes where 
the waif is chasing her around and stabs but, her and blah blah blah. And then and then you know because you remember at the time they were doing a lot of things for, for uh, to be parsimonious with time. You know, like in the original uh, first five seasons, you would have the hound and and uh, you know uh, Arya traveling like from you know what would look to be just like three miles on the map and yeah. it takes them like all season to to, right. to get whereas later on they, they start, uh, look, we, let's we send ha- someone there <laughs> because it was and i think i agree with it because it's just like look we don't have time we have to, we have two more seasons to wrap this up but they got a little ridiculous with it well i think it uh, to me, as I'm watching it, I know what they're doing. I'm like, good. They're getting the story moving. George R. R. Martin was slowing things down in the books, like, sure. And so I'm like, no, and I get that, but I, like, I'm but, like, it, it does get a little silly, but at the same time, it's like, well, good. If if this is if this is the beat we need to get to, I'll forgive it for now because I want to. I want the beats to happen, and so I think what happened when they were um, doing that sequence with Arya. They let that get go too far. I see. And I think if they had more time or George R. R. Martin was more involved, they would have been like, look, you have to show her recovering probably six months of time. There's got to be, you know, da-da-da. Then she can face the, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Yeah. So, I but- mean, I, I, I'm mostly on your side on this. You're probably right. It's just that the whole philosophy of these people is like, you are supposed to lose your identity entirely. It's no face. It doesn't matter. So if anything, it'd be like, yeah, well, great. Now we have her face, who is a Stark, and we can go kill all these people that we want to kill anyways for weird reasons that we don't understand. But who cares about Arya or the other wave or whoever? Because that's not what we care about. But fine. The other crazy one is that what's his name is definitely not dead. Littlefinger. <laughs> uh, because he's not that stupid. Um, so he's definitely alive, and the one that died is a shapeshifter or whatever they call them, um, the no face people. I don't, I don't think that's true either. And and again, if if they do make that to be true, I'll, that's a pretty cheesy. But it's uh, it was cheesy again. You you're damned if you do and you don't because it was really cheesy that little finger fell that way because he's the ultimate manipulator, the ultimate conspirer, and for him to be like. Oh, Dolly, you listened in. You heard me. Oh, well, whoopsie. Uh, It was just so dumb. Huh. That's not the script that I saw uh, uh, being played out on the screen. Well, well, I mean, like, he he had the jump on Arya from what we saw, right? Like, he was the one... Like he was trying to manipulate, manipulate the two sisters, right. yeah. And then somehow, all of a sudden, he gets easily played. So either... So, well, well, well yeah. we don't know. One... Bran could have been involved. Bran could. Bran was on Littlefinger's ass. You remember yeah, that, yeah. And Bran could have told the sisters. By the way, you realize Littlefinger is lying, trying to manipulate the two. Yeah. Right? Like we don't. We don't know what happened. Okay. So, um, and and plus, like, it's a TV show that's trying to be like interesting, right? Yeah. And so they didn't walk you through every little step. They wanted to. Sh- they wanted to surprise you with something, and you were surprised, and. So was Littlefinger. Well, and- I'm, more than anything, I was annoyed. I was I I was annoyed at a lot of things in that last season because, anyways. And then lastly, why? Like you you liked Littlefinger or something? Uh, I didn't. I mean, obviously he's a horrible person, but I I liked his character. And and you thought that he would be smarter than that? He had been. He had been very very clever, 
and he let his guard down, and I was surprised. Uh, so I guess you're right. I was surprised. Um, the the other part is I was thinking that uh, Daenerys isn't going to rule over all. I'm thinking uh, Ty- Ty- Tyrell? Ty- Tyrion? What's Tyrion? Tyrion? Tyrion's going to rule over all. Yeah. Th- there's a lot of viable uh, theories. Uh, I actually have money bet on Danny winning that I made months ago. Because it just seemed like it made more sense, but after watching a lot of the uh, speculation videos on YouTube, I'm less I'm less sure that Danny's going to be the, the the on the Iron Throne. There's a lot of different uh, uh, s- storylines that would make sense given the prophecies yeah. and everything. Well, and I, I was thinking about it more from the sense of I I envisioned this thing where. Like Danny sort of does win, and or Jon Snow, or one of the two. One of them sacrifices for the other, some of like that. But then, like whoever's still there says, "Like I've realized, uh, not in this language, this would be cheesy, but I realized how hard it is to rule all these thrones. So I think we need someone wise like you, Tyrion, to do it." And then Tyrion's like, "Well, I've realized how hard it is to keep all these thrones together. So I actually, I think we should give rule back to the people." And I'm not going to be like some weird emperor. We're going to like let the North rule its North. I don't know. Some weird sort of like hmm. he, he does some some Could be. parceling of the thing. Uh, that doesn't sound very viable to me, but who knows? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of theories that Danny will become the Night Queen, that, that she will be uh, – <clears throat> she will marry the, the Night King. Because there's – again, there's this whole prophecy about like why the Night King even cares about coming south. Like mm-hmm. – there's a there's a mission he's on, and he's either on a mission to get a baby that is like royal born, like perhaps Danny's baby. There's a chance, or Danny herself, or Jon Snow himself. She, yeah. So the Night King might be trying to get one of them to become like his heir, essentially, or to marry Danny, um, or to have just anyway. So there's a chance and they they already have a dragon so it's like well maybe danny be just sort of brings all of her dragons over who knows <laughs> but uh which people are making viable arguments for but the point is is that and when you actually listen to the actors talk about their general emotional reactions upon learning the the story at the end they say it's incredibly sad right so for danny to be on the iron throne would be not sad, right? It would be satisfying on a certain level. And so now she could still be on the Iron Throne and Jon Snow could die and Tyrion could die and Sansa could die and Arya could die. You know, there could be a lot right. of terrible things. But to me, when they say sad, it sounds like maybe a lot of things happen that make it so that it's satisfying, but not a lot of the ways you think it's going to happen, you know? I- I which mean, would be, it, which would make total sense given George. Given R. George, R. that's true. At the same time, like I think that there is a circular. There's probably going to be a circular element to his storytelling. So I do think it'll it'll connect in a way that is satisfying, even if it is sad. <laughs> like I was thinking, like Danny would survive potentially, but would decide that she was happiest. Ruling over her people out in the you know the the called Drogo type of people, not like in these fancy wancy cities. So she would abdicate her throne, and that's why it would go to Tyrion, and then she would move west 
or East or whatever it is. East, yeah. So Avengers is coming out, Endgame. I, I've watched, I don't know if we talked about this, remind me if we did, but so with Infinity Wars. Infinity Wars, yeah. I saw, we saw it in the theater, mm-hmm. and it was around the same time as seeing Black Panther. Right. And we both thought, this is better than Black Panther. Right. Like people are freaking out about Black Panther, and it's a good movie for yeah. sure. But man, this Infinity War movie is really, yeah. really, really good. Very complex, and yet they pulled it off. Yeah. Entertaining, yeah. funny, uh, moves quickly, makes sense. The ten- There's only like one really noticeable bad scene, like when Quill, played by Chris Pratt, uh, decides to screw up the whole situation as they're about to get the gauntlet, <laughs> the gauntlet off, right? Yeah. Like, it's like... Why would he do that under those circumstances? It yeah. just, I mean, he it, they didn't make any sense. But but aside from that, like everything was was really interesting. And like because they definitely didn't define his whole character progression as well. We know that his impulsivity always ruins everything, right? Like if <laughs> like if if Drax did that, it would make sense. Yes, because right. he's been he, or Groot, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but Drax for sure, right? Because yeah. Drax is he's like a hothead. He's not very smart, right. but Quill, you know, he's smarter than that. Right. Um, at the very least, he's not like super impulsive as as everyone is like Quill. No, Quill. No, right. and he's like I'm gonna, you know, it's or Gamora's sister or something. You know, like right. all of these would make sense. Yeah. Um, plus, no, even Drax isn't stupid enough to wait just three seconds. For the gauntlet to be pulled off, and then and then actually easier, yeah, to kill him. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, the, that the was... gauntlet. I mean, it, within his visual view, is almost off of his hand. But anyway, um, so I, uh, one so, question: what? When that happened, was that after uh, the what's Thanos? the sorcerer? Oh, uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Was that after Doctor Strange had said that there was only one way in which this could work? I don't think so. Was that before? Yeah. Was... Ah, damn it. Because maybe you could have written it off as like, oh, maybe maybe he whispered into Quill's. <laughs> no, the way they made it seem is they, yeah. they almost won. They, almost, they won. almost got the gauntlet off. Yeah. And that would have ended the threat. Right. And they were so close. And it really, it really soured because we love Quill so much. And now all of a sudden it's like, dude. You ruined the universe. You klutz! Yeah, yeah. So, so that was um, not the best, but the rest of it is great. And I rewatched it again just randomly because it was on Netflix. Yeah. And I was like, and I thought oh, I'll probably like it less the second time, and I liked it even more. Right. And then I watched <laughs> it a third time, really, more, more recently, <laughs> and I was like, man, this is a really good movie. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, and the, the other thing. Uh, I know I've railed against this before, but it's just this is one of the things that I'm so disheartened about in our modern age. And I know I've been guilty. I know. But it's just the amount of effort that goes into these movies. Then think about planning like a decade or longer worth of movies. We're going to come out with movie after movie, each one at a risk that won't go well. Any number of things could happen. Just the monumental effort that it's taken to get you to that point where you have this movie with all these stars, all these storylines, all converging. It's really, it's really epic. Yeah. Right? And so the next movie's coming out, and I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think that um, if it's anything like the last one, it should be pretty good. And this is coming from someone who isn't a huge Avengers movie fan. Like, I didn't particularly like 
um, you know, winter Ultron. Sp- or and I really didn't like Ultron. Yeah, Ultron uh, was not good. I didn't like uh, you know, Winter Soldier that much. I, I really did. I, I'm surprised about that. Yeah. Everyone it loved was. it. It's supposed to be one of the best. And yeah. I, I even watched it again to be like, well, was I biased? And I'm like, no, this is boring. That's interesting because like, you know, the, some of the stuff I love so much on that one is Captain America was not a character that I was like that excited about. Yeah. And I'm still not excited. Well, But about they it. made him a badass in that movie. I get I don't think so. Uh, I, I'm actually quite I'm really underwhelmed. So. I'm underwhelmed by Captain America and his lack of like char- lack of personality, and then I'm annoyed with Iron Man's. Um, I like Iron Man's personality, but the level of his technology is absurd. <laughs> like we've talked about this before. Like he, he now has every movie they have to invent a new way for his suit. He can't just have a cool suit. Yeah. It has to be some new like and. Since nano is all the rage now, right. he has a his suit is now made out of nano. What I but the problem is is nano means they're small, right? But if you needed enough nano things to make a whole suit, you would have to have <laughs> billions of nano things. Okay, right. the well, matter still has to be there, <laughs> right? It, nano doesn't invent matter, right? It it's matter that is just really small, so. He presses he like presses this button and this this nano suit emerges from his back somewhere right fills his entire body it's like well where was the that whole suit had to have been on your back where was it on your back like yeah. you're just making up mag- it's magic now yeah. you're a sorcerer you, but you're supposed to be an inventor and, and if you if you way, have that ability yeah you could solve all of the health problems in the world. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like the technology that goes into that suit totally. could solve every medical problem on the planet. And, and, with a, and he makes it seem like all he has to do is talk to his computer and say, do this, and it does right. it. You know what I mean? It's just too well, overblown. Th- think about all the wiring. How does that all connect? Nano. In- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it would just be the dumbest way of like engineering a suit of armor uh, to have it be made out of entirely of nano machines. Like it just would be a really, really poor way to design something, you know. Uh, plus, like he has, he already has like a way that's pretty effective. To yeah. Me. Anyway, um, no, I hear you. <laughs> and then he gives Spider-Man, you know, like a big contrast in terms of the Spider-Man mistakes that i think avengers is making is you watch into the spider verse mm-hmm. and you see a regular down-to-earth spider-man have you seen it oh totally i've seen it four times so good and amazing there's no gadgets it's just a guy with a superpower who has a gadget to shoot yeah. uh, webs um but he doesn't have armor Right. He he can be shot. He can be hurt. Yeah. He can't fly. He can't go into space. You know. Right. But with the Spider Man, right away he starts off with this suit that can do essentially everything that Iron Man can do. That's true. That this Spider Man is super engineered. Yeah. He went into yeah, space. Right. And he has a you know a heads up a display heads up, the and whole like thing, he has yeah. all these different powers like electricity right. and like he can he can do. 
so many different things. And it's like now, so he's basically an Iron Man. He's not. He's not. He's less of a Spider Man, more of an Iron Man. Right now, in some fairness to the writers, uh, you know, you're competing against gods here, right? So like Thor and and the Hulk and like these these creatures are which is, and well, those, which is another Doctor problem, Strange which is another problem I think in that well Doctor Strange is more interesting because he doesn't because the way that they show him in his movie anyway he he doesn't have a like an excellent fighting power he has sure. he has a a power where he can manipulate space and time but his fighting abilities aren't like aren't like Thor right but the problem is is that they're incorporating these characters from the comic books and the the comic books I think made the same mistake is that as time goes on there's this drift to make them more and more powerful right. <laughs> and you know, you you take a character like um like Captain Marvel or Thor or Hulk and now the way they've written Iron Man it's like I don't think they're going to get hurt you know <laughs> that I I have no worries about right. them and that's just not that's not good writing. Having said that, Avengers Infinity Wars, they managed to make it seem like they were actually in danger, yeah, you know? Yeah. And and so that that's a that's a hard I, line to, to draw. You this know? is why I love uh One Punch Man. Have you watched the or read the manga or I've watched it a little bit. Man, it it's great because it's it's both a very entertaining show, but it's a great send up on this exact problem. Because the whole design of this hero is he kills anything. Super easily. <laughs> and so he's always just bored. And there's no no threat. You have like the season finale, the biggest beast, whatever. And he, like, you can still beat him easily, you know? <laughs> it, can't he like punch people like into another dimension or something? <clears throat> Basically. <clears throat> sorry. Basically, uh, because he trained himself by doing 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats, and running 10K every day, <laughs> he became indestructible and with one punch can yeah can basically destroy a a planet essentially you know <laughs> or more <laughs> well i didn't know that's all it took yeah uh we saw us right what'd you think well so us was uh i had really high hopes for it and there were definitely a lot of visually interesting moments especially early on in the movie uh i did feel that it was ultimate. It, it suffered by uh, showing, trying to explain too much. Like once it started trying to explain what's going on and trying to like actually give reasons for the weirdness, I actually thought, oh, that's silly. Like, cause uh, you know, spoiler alert. Like, there's this stuff about. Well, how, maybe you shouldn't spoil it. Okay, but. fine. I won't spoil it. But I'm just gonna say that there's a lot of explanations that weren't necessary. I would have much. I would have liked the movie a lot more. If it kept the mystery about like what's happening, yeah, yeah, I went into it with pretty high expectations. I really liked Get Out, and have loved Jordan Peele. I mean, I I have probably seen everything Jordan Peele has ever made. I even yeah. on YouTube will sometimes watch his, his sketches on Mad TV. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I just I love everything. Oh, by the way, have you seen the the new Twilight Zone? I haven't yet. No. Uh, the first episode's available on YouTube, by the way, and yeah. and it's it's pretty good. Okay. It's classic Twilight Zone. All right, I'll give it. A and shot. Jordan Peele plays the you know uh, the character that Rod Sterling is. Would it play. funny or? Yeah, I mean the first the first episode's funny, but also poignant and and but just classic Twilight Zone plot, you okay. know. But um, 
well acted, well shot, very, you know, just a great um, premise, I thought. Uh, it's like akin to Black Mirror, but very Twilight Zone. Anyway, okay. uh, and Jordan Peele is, of course. So anyway, I love Jordan Peele. And, and I went in, so and I saw the trailers to us mm-hmm. in the theater, and I was terrified. Right. They like, looked really creepy. I couldn't even watch the trailers because <laughs> it was so scary to me. Right. And I wouldn't have normally seen it. But I was like, well, Jordan Peele did it, so it's got to be, like, good. Yeah. So I go to the theater, and I watch it. I wasn't scared at all. Yeah. The entire movie, I was, I was, you know, ready to be scared. Right. You know, I was ready to, to, be, to have jump scares. I'd heard that it was really scary. Yeah, it yeah. looked terrifying from the previews. The whole movie, I was like, nope, not scared. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm invested in the characters, kind of. But not not tremendously right. so, and then as the story starts to unfold, it very quickly ramps up. You know, it, they, yeah. it doesn't have that typical horror movie uh, plot where it's like the first half there's a lot of mystery. Like it pretty it gets into the thing pretty quick, yeah. and then it, pre- it, it essentially it lifts the veil really quickly, real real quick. Yeah, yeah. and then it lifts and because at first you're thinking, oh, it's just isolated to the family. And then it lifts another veil. And right, we won't go down that road, but. Where it's like, oh, it's bigger, and then they left another van, right, and it's right, like, right. whoa, this is, you know. Yeah. And each time they did it, I was just kind of like, oh, I'm not really connecting with – like, right. I was connecting when it was the smaller ver- – I, I wish they would have just stuck to the yeah. smaller script. That's what I thought was going to happen. Right, but it was like it very quickly became – and the other thing was was the family was pretty good – yeah. At at fighting, yeah. you know what I mean. They they were they weren't uh, uh, very ineffective, right? And and so after a certain point, I was like, I stopped worrying about their fate, you yeah. Know? And then when they explained the whole thing at the end, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting, but not that interesting. And then like an hour later, it felt more interesting to me because yeah. I started thinking about it more, and I was like, oh, okay. I can kind of see the larger point here, but still not that interesting. But I think the problem is, is that me and a lot of people like me, maybe you too, went into this movie with really high expectations that I think Jordan Peele was like, and he even says this, he's like, this next movie is not social commentary. You know, he's like, this isn't about race. This movie is not about or he hmm. says he says he didn't say it's not social commentary. He says it's not about race. Yeah. He says it is social commentary, but it's not about race. And um, it's just in Get Out, it's so visceral and now and right. like you could see these things happening. Yeah. And it makes it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, they're just, you're just like all these white people who are dying. They want a new body, and it's like, well, why not a black person? Cause, right. Because they're they're cooler. They're more. Well, they're they're smarter. They're funnier. They have more better art. You know, like right. uh, they have better bodies. You know, and it's like then it's kind of and you're like, oh, okay, that seems kind of cool that they respect black people. But then it's like, but it's like slavery and da da da. Right. <laughs> and it just there were so many different elements to that, and the action in Get Out was tense. Oh yeah. When you know the guy at the end, Daniel, uh, whatever his name is, is like trying to get out of the house. Yeah. Like, it's like serious action. Yeah. You some know, real jumpy it, moments, some yeah. in, really scary moments. In us, I'm like, and I don't know about you, but from the beginning of the movie, I knew the twist. And I'm not usually like that. 
I, I if you if you're talking about the main reveal, yeah, yeah same here. But oh. but I actually, but a lot of people I've hear I've heard didn't didn't know until the end. Well, the, it, and I'm not usually good at that. The only reason I doubted it during the middle is because I thought, well, at this point, if they do what I think they were gonna do, then they're pulling a signs on me, meaning they're making it like it's a writer's trick because. You've now made me fully believe the other way because you've written it this way. Like and then Ar- you're going to still pull the rug. Like Arya being dead and the waif killing. For example. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, imagine a movie where, where I say, you know, like the uh, in the first scene, I make it look like uh, Neo is the one, right? And for the rest of the movie, we actually have all this evidence pointing to like, oh, no, it's actually a Trinity. It's, she's the one. She's the one. She's the one. She's the one. And in the last scene of the movie, I'm like, ah, I tricked you all. It's Neo. Neo is the one. You're like, well, sure, but you made it seem like Trinity was the one repeatedly. Right. And, and so like I felt like it, in the beginning, like for probably the first 30% of the movie, I was pretty sure like I knew what the twist was. And then I kind of forgot about it. I thought, oh, maybe they're, they're not even going this way. And then I'll, at the end, I was like, oh, okay, I guess it was. But it was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. But the other thing was, there was one scene, actually, that I thought was really, I wouldn't say super scary, but it was creepy. And it was when they first see the family standing out there. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah. But they very quickly diverge yeah, from that. Yeah. Um, now, the critics, 100% of them on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I love this movie. Yeah, it got crazy ratings. And I listen to a lot of podcasts about movies, and all the critics yep. loved it. But then I listened to this one podcast where they had people call in. Yeah. And like four out of five of the callers were like us. Yeah. Um, we're like, yeah, it was good, but it wasn't amazing. And, the, and so I think there's something about this movie that appeals to critics. Right. But not to the regular people. I saw quotes, which are, these are stupid quotes, like, best horror movie of all time. Yeah. What? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Exorcist. No, just go back one year. The Ring. And the one you hated that I loved, the 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 one with the, the witchcraft. Uh, the... the I don't know. The gal, and she was shunned from the Oscars, but her her performance was so amazing with the little girl that looks weird, and then she... Oh, heredity? Hereditor. Hereditary. Hereditary. <laughs> Hereditary. Hereditary. The rural juror. The rural juror. Hereditary was an amazing horror movie compared to this. Yeah, so, I, I mean, and that one legitimately creeped me out. Yeah. And uh, had some very interesting now, things. Now I'm say. not look. I I still love Jordan Peele, and I did enjoy parts of this movie. And I think great. I want to see what he does next. I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I just think the overreaction from the critics is really bizarre. Yeah, I think there's something kind of weird about certain movements in our society and within critic culture that are uh, that don't really line up. Like I I often talk about this, but. There's this thing on the internet and among critics about Korean movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not so much anymore, but there was this – about 10 years ago, there'd be this like, you know, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and – or, you know, really high, like 90%. The Train to Busan or something like that. Uh, or, the, or just that one that was made by Koreans, but the train, the, the – Oh, yeah, the driver, the, the split – driver split screen <laughs> or whatever piercer snow piercer snow piercer good yeah <laughs> and uh 
with Captain America. Right, and everyone freaked out. Yeah. and, that, like, and oh my God. And it's like... Have you seen Snowpiercer yet? Yeah, so there's a select group of internet dudes and reviewers who are like, this is a masterpiece. Right. And I, and, I, and I got to the point with Korean movies where I was like, with Snowpiercer, I was like, I bet you anything I'm not going to like this movie because even though every indication says I should like it and right. I would watch it and I'd be like, yep, it's not that great. I mean, yeah. it's the thing is, is like Snowpiercer is fine for what it is. Right. It's like a campy B movie about a train that is that can never stop. And and it and it and Absolutely. it lives in a world where everyone's dead, you know. And um, like if it, if it's the kind of thing where like I'm browsing Netflix and uh, it's you know some Saturday or something, and I'm like, oh, what's this? And I watch it. I'm not going to be upset. That right. I it's it's, it's it. not terrible. Right. Uh, us, you know, same. It's I, I would give us like a six. But if you tell me, have you seen Snowpiercer yet? Yeah. It's like the best movie since The Matrix. Yeah. I'm like. um what planet are you from? And and sometimes, you know, art is art and people take it differently. But it is weird when you see different pockets of culture react to things in this sort of universal way that doesn't match up with the vast majority. And you just have to wonder, like, what what cultural pocket do they live in that sort of compelled that thing? It's sort of like when suddenly every, every three-year-old girl is named Madison, mm. you know, or every two-year-old girl is named Emma. Like all of a sudden, right. it's like, well, but it's only certain kinds of parents that right. actually name their kids those names. You know what? What happened to that group? Because they that? no <laughs> one named their kid Emma, thinking there were going to be a lot of other kids named Emma. Right. No, especially today, no one names their kids, especially girls. You want unique. You want unique names. You don't want. No, like, I mean literally unique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I watched, uh, or I'm almost done watching the Mule with Clint Eastwood. Oh, the where he's running drugs. Yeah, it's okay. It's not. Is that his movie? Yeah. Well, he directed it. Okay. Uh, he, he didn't write it, but it's okay. Um, he's Did old. He... He's old now, man. Yeah, I know. He's like almost. He might be ninety years old. Did he write Gran Torino? I don't know. Okay. But it has a similar vibe to that, like uh, where he will, like he at one point says something like Negroes or something, and then these black people are like, oh, we don't say that word anymore, sir, or something. And <laughs> there's this, there are simul, there's, there's some parts where it's fine, where it's an interesting kind of you know, action, tense movie. Right. And also kind of a police procedural with Bradley Cooper in it. But then there's these scenes where Clint, I can't tell if Clint Eastwood wrote these in or what, but he comes across like he's trying to say that young people are stupid, essentially. Yeah. It, it's, Grand Torino kind of suffered from that, and right. So, I don't know if you have nothing else to watch. I watched Amy Schumer's Netflix special. Oh wow! And it Is was that, that's like watching a cover band, right? <laughs> yeah, just that's, kidding, what, that's what people say. Just kidding. Um, as far as stand-up specials go, it's it's not that great. Like she's no Amy Wong. Um, she's no like even Adam Sandler has a great special that just came out recently. Um, he's not. He's, she's no John Mulaney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first twenty minutes, I was I was laughing, uh-huh. and then it kind of slows down, and then it's not. But the interesting thing she talks about in this that I didn't know is that she got married and she's pregnant now. Oh. And her husband 
has mild autism. I saw an article or a headline about this. Like, no joke, not like the kind of mild autism. Did you post about this? I don't know. But not the kind of mild... I wouldn't post about something like that. But like, not the kind of mild autism where you would never know. Like, apparently he has the kind of mild autism where you would know right away. Like, oh, this person isn't, you know, uh, neurotypical, what they call it. And... Uh, he and she makes jokes about it in the sh- in the show, which is refreshing. That she, she married him; it's yeah. her husband. She can make fun of her husband, you know, yeah. and she seems to love him, you know. Yeah. But on the other hand, I was kind of cringing because oh. she's making fun of a disability. Yeah, yeah. And I I didn't know how to take that. It seemed oh. like it, it was kind of, but it, at the very least, it was interesting to hear her talk about their relationship and what it's like, you know? Right. Um, but it pretty quickly got unfunny and I stopped okay. watching. Um, I like Amy Schumer. I know the internet hates her, but I, I think she's fine. We watched You and I Love Death and Robots on on Netflix. Yeah. Which I'm so excited for, because this is going to be an ongoing... Yeah. Uh, and so think about all the animators out. So if you don't know Love, Death, and Robots, it's a bunch of animated shorts. Yeah. And by different people and the themes are love death death and robots and so they're like future things and there's non-future things and blah blah blah. but yeah like there's ones that combine all three (laughs) right and some of them are comedy and some of them are very serious and uh, overall i thought it was amazing it's yeah the the animation the artistry is just on some of these are just yeah. mind blowing. Like I had no idea that some of these things were possible. Like, yeah, yeah. like that one where that guy uh, kills someone and the girl sees across. Oh yeah, yeah. And like that, that, was that whole anime, I, I was trying to figure out cause it kind of looks like um, into the spider verse in a way. Yeah. I, I wonder if they actually filmed and then did kind of like a waking life sort of stuff. Right. It kind of looked that. Yeah. But man, that was amazing! Amazing, and the 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 loop of it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like little Black Mirror animated episodes, yeah. and they're gonna make other seasons. So I yeah. just can't imagine like all the animators out there are like, "Oh my god, please let me be in this thing." <laughs> now I have a a venue like Netflix to yeah. pay me money to you know. Normally, I'm trying to get into you know film festivals and right. stuff. Like Netflix has billions <clears throat> of dollars, right? Like, so I'm just imagining. With all the you know talent out there to produce this stuff, really great stuff. Yeah, it was each one had its own kind of vibe, and yeah, was, they're not like all evenly great or something. But yeah. it's just as a whole, I'm so happy they put this out. Some of them are amazing, and overall, I, I was like, this is great. Wh- like, which ones stick out to you? Um, so, I like the one you just mentioned. Definitely, absolutely. Um, I really liked. So the the very first one to me was a very very good one because even though on the one hand it was sort of like okay it's just like an actiony you know mortal pit fighter one but what was so great about it was the uh like why do you assume like we're talking about robots here with sentience why do you assume like the the main vessel has to look like an actual human in this case and uh, and it was. Are you talking about like the fighting pit one? Yeah, the yeah. fighting pit one. That, so that was just great. And then violence wise, it was off the charts. So well, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> that one was amazing. The animation was amazing. That I thought the storyline was really interesting. Yeah, they had to cram it in real, real tight. 
the f- the battle I thought was pretty interesting, <laughs> really great, and then the twists and turns and yeah. the, and, and then it hints at it, a lot more of a backstory too. <laughs> and man, these things are pornographic-y. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, there are some there are some scenes where it's like, don't Whoa. watch don't watch this on the airplane. You know what I mean? <laughs> I uh, also um, I didn't think I was gonna like it, but you know the one with the farm. And they're like, it's this dude on a farm, and he's like, "Ooh, I, something's wrong with the perimeter." Oh yeah, I'm gonna. Coach. And it escalates into like this crazy yeah. space invader, alien invader. Yeah, I really kinda. like that one too. Yeah, <laughs> and it's touching. You know, they're sacrificed. They're in the mechs. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're basically like farmers who have mechs. Yeah, mech it reminds. Remind and then the like reveal Starcraft. at the end was kind of interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so, but the, the theme though throughout one theme that was kind of apparent to me pretty quick was the it i don't know who you know the gender of the people who made this but there's a certain there's a through line of like maleness through these mm. through the, a theme where some of them less so than others but but some of but if you just watch watch this you'd be like this is kind of said from a teenage boy point of view and in, in overall you know like I can see that. like if you were a a woman and you're watching this it'd just be like this is kind of like denigrating to women in certain ways and you know doesn't really allow for mm. women the first one definitely does like the the main characters are women in in the first one um but anyway so i that's one thing that i thought was Hopefully, as they start coming up with more episodes, it's like the new creators will at least have that in their head. I see. There was one that I thought was terrible, though. The one where uh, it's called Sucker of Souls, when they're in the in the sewers, and oh, yeah. it's just like uh, the the demon comes yeah. and <laughs> is killing everyone, and uh, it's I thought that one was just. Totally different from the other ones. Yeah, it seemed out of place. Didn't have an interesting storyline. Was like gratuitous in all these really stupid ways. Uh, but man, as I'm looking at, it, there's like but it's 25 because, little episodes, right? You know? But it's great because even that one, it's like you're not watching a whole movie that you just paid you know 20 bucks to go sit for two hours right, watching. It's, it's 13 minutes. Yeah. Uh, the dump, the 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 dump, the garbage dump uh, with the guy who. Has a dog that turned into a giant. Um, oh right, 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 right. I thought that one was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> but the the, th- the reason why I really like this is that when I was growing up, there was this thing called heavy metal. Oh yeah. Which, oh man. <laughs> which was this? It was a similar thing to this. Yep. It was a a movie, a VHS you would get, and it was these uh, little cartoon shorts made by yeah. different people that, and they would have music, and they would go to different places, and it was just. Because there was so little of this sort of entertainment uh, available to us when we were kids, I just thought this it was fantastic. Even was. though a lot of this stuff I didn't really get when I was yeah, I, I still was don't get it. But still, <laughs> but it, it, one of my favorites there, or actually probably my favorite, was the one with the bomber, and it's like the skeleton bomber, meaning it's it's a p- oh, bomber yeah. plane, yeah, and it's like uh, not skeleton, like ghosts, you know, like it's it's kind of like been. They've already been shot down, but they're still flying. Yeah. And it's like... The one that made me cry was the ship that they loved, Lucky 13. 
Remember when they're on that planet and they're oh yes and the, yes, the, yes. And the ship like blows itself oh, up yes. like that. I I couldn't believe that I started crying yeah. at that episode. But anyway, uh, if you haven't watched Love, Death, and Robots, and you're into that, you know, if you if you're not into violence, I I wouldn't watch it. What was the name of the uh, cartoon in the '80s that was like? It's not a cartoon. It was a movie as well, where the poster had this dude kind of like on on this a creature that was a two legged creature, and he's kind of like hunched over, and you his face you can't quite see it other than his eyes. You can't. It's like dark. He's got like a hood. And then he's got the spear and the cre- – it's almost like Dr. Seuss designs. Do you remember that? No. Oh, God. I got to remember what that is. Maybe someone else said that. I saw Triple Frontier with Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac from your home country. I believe isn't Oscar Isaac. Is he Colombian? I thought so. Oh. What? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. Uh, Triple Frontier. It's uh, – No, Guatemala. Oh, okay. Central. Okay. Central America. Um, Triple Frontier was it's a it's a made for Netflix movie with Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, and the premise is, is that you have these special forces guys who go to South America to um, uh, get rid of a drug kingpin and also like take his money, mm. um, and they're they're doing it sort of off the radar. So it's like. They're kind of doing something good. Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of doing something good, but they're kind of doing something bad because they're I like see. doing they're it. They're not for really them. supposed to be doing this. Yeah. The movie has got good reviews. I didn't think it was that great. I mean, some of it's interesting, but uh, there are some premises to this. Like, they're all assholes. They, because they, they're, imagine the reverse, okay? You have guys in Guatemala who are special forces who come to the United States. Yeah. To kill, like, <laughs> you know, someone who's running Enron or, you know, or to take out Elizabeth Holmes or something. <laughs> and they invade the United States and they kill her and they kill a bunch of other people, their, her, you know, her bodyguards or whatever. They take a bunch of her money and then they try to make it home. <laughs> like, these are not heroes. These are world-class criminals. They are world, yeah. <laughs> so th- the fact that... I was like, so how am I supposed to empathize with these fuckers? The, and, and the whole idea was like, well, you know, America knows best. Like, that was kind of the premise of just like, right. well, we're Americans, and so we, can, we know best, yeah. and we can do this because we're Americans. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, like, we're Amer- like a whole th- the whole thing seemed to appeal to, like, this Rambo mentality right. of, like, you know we're special we can do anything we want and it's like those are the kind of attitudes that make people want to kill us around the world you know what i mean that sucks <laughs> um i think i told you i rewatched amadeus oh i wa- i rewatched it recently in the uh, with the philharmonic playing in oh, benaroya right. hall did we talk about this in the podcast i don't know but i, I tell me i mean like well it's amazing. So, <laughs> so you you always talk about how much you love the movie yeah. and so one night i was just like I haven't seen this since I was like 14 years old. So, yeah. and back then I don't think I would, could really appreciate such a thing. And I rewatched it and I was blown away at yeah. how good this movie is. Yeah. It's funny, it's interesting, it's, you know, mildly associated with history. Right. The costumes are great. The characters are quirky like Amadeus his his girlfriend wife. Right. The way <laughs> she's acted is like 
very particular. And right. I find that we don't maybe like um uh the movie with Emma Stone, the 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 favorite favorite. That movie has that in it a little bit. That actually Amadeus kind of reminds me of the favorite in that sure. it's about character and they didn't spend a lot of time trying to make the characters sound all historical and da da da. Right. It's like, no, we don't know how they talked back then. Right. And in all reality, they probably taught if if we're gonna <laughs> translate it to today to today's communication, they probably just talked like regular people did. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? These are human beings. Yeah. It's not like Trump walks around like if we see a movie made about Trump two hundred years from now and Trump is like, you know, art thou da 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 it's like no Trump <laughs> It was a crass, normal talker. You know what I mean? The fact that uh, these are educated upper class people doesn't negate the fact that they're not that they're human. You know? Yeah. So, so in the favorite and in Amadeus, you get that picture of just like they're just talking like regular people talk. Right. But the beauty of Amadeus is the guy who won the Oscar, oh the, the main narrator Salieri. His his acting and his facial expressions. It's- he, Unbelievable. He has to do so much with that character. And I don't think I've ever seen a performance communicate the emotions and story that he is telling in his yeah. face. Yeah. He both deeply respects Amadeus and deeply hates him, hates him. With all the fire of the universe. And but Amadeus loves him yeah. and thinks he's great in this naive way. Yeah. And and he's and yet doesn't respect his music at all. Right. Which is weird, right? And uh, Salieri's like, um, well, I get why this genius doesn't get my music, yeah. doesn't respect. Because although my music is great, it's nothing in comparison to, to Amadeus. And he feels he's the only one who can recognize this. Right. and Because everyone else is sort of stuck in appearances where Salieri is actually interested in the art. Yeah. In the art you know? They were all impressed by little genius Mozart and now they're like, well, that's great. Play your music. Oh, isn't he amazing? He Let's can, move on. Yeah, he can play so fast. Yeah. You know, whereas Salieri's like, no. You don't th- even know what you're listening yeah, to. Yeah, this is genius I know. Stuff. So I, I last Like the scenes I- when he picks up the music, when oh, the wife gets, and he's just, scene is- he's just like, oh, yeah. he's, oh, you know, you just see his face. He's like, like looking into God, yeah. you know, that that's his face. So I, I, th- I think I recently told you after I saw it again. It had been many years since I've seen it, but not that many. Because in college, I watched it a lot. I had the VHS and I watched it a lot. Uh, but having rewatched it recently, I was like, I can't in good conscience put American Psycho as my number one. This is my number one. Oh, no. Yes. It's big upset. Oh. Big upset. Well, you just – now I have a fucked up movie like Clockwork Orange. <laughs> no, but but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Like, I'm not saying – I'm not going to look down on anyone else that has any... I'm just saying, for me, look, American Psycho is more recent in my history. Fine. Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind is my favorite movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know... Uh, American Psycho is my numero dos. Either we're both sickos or we're not. But, but, you know, Amadeus is a sick movie, too. <laughs> fine. Fine. Leave my sicko cl- club. I'll be a club of one loving a sicko It's just movie. that, like, also from the perspective of that movie, the, like, the performances in it, the music, the everything. It's just like, ah, I can't. I just can't. Oh, along those lines, let's listen to this song. Um, I, so for the longest time, 
I was, um, I would hear this song every once in a while, and I would be like, "There's that song again. I love that song." Okay. Um, and I would, uh, I would try to Google it later. Okay. And I would try to Google like sad classical mm-hmm. descending chord. Like I try try to put as many okay. descriptions in because sometimes I actually I actually get it. You know. Yeah. Could never find it. And then in this random commercial or the end of a TV show that uh, Stacy was watching, it came on and I used and I was and I had Stacy like rewind several times. It's only like like three seconds of uh, it. I used Shazam. Shazam like like fifteen different times. It kept failing and then it finally got it. And it's and it's this song. Um it's actually uh by uh is it it's Beethoven. It's Oh uh, Sonata Appassionata? Uh, no. Uh this is this is uh Beethoven was a similar time, right? He was a yeah, kid. He, he was a kid when Mozart was. Oh yeah. Oh God, so beautiful. So which one's this one? Uh, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> Symphony number seven in A major. Oh man. Uh, Allegretto. Maybe that's what it's called. No, no, no. That's just the. It's it's the symphony. I think sometimes it's called Allegretto though. Well, that's the section, but the it's it's the seventh symphony part, part the Allegretto part, which is confusing because it's not an Allegretto. <laughs> So beautiful. You can hear the string guys shifting in their seats. Yeah. How do you describe this? <laughs> I mean, so, can't to, you see like Depeche Mode writing a song like that? Kind of. Well, yeah, totally. I, I would, I would venture to guess that they were very influenced by Beethoven. <laughs> yeah. So, my favorite Beethoven of the ones I know, anyways, is the uh, Sonata Appassionata, which is the one that goes. It, it starts with this, like it's just played very low on the on the piano, and it's like. Uh, Actually, play play a little bit because I will. Well, how, how do you spell it? Uh, sonata and then A P A S S O. Moonlight. Uh, no, not moonlight. Uh, Appassionata. A P A S. A P A what? A P S. A P S. And then maybe it's I O N. There.
it's so solemn, so meaningful. starts developing but it's just like yeah i like uh, it it's so beautiful and and it starts so simple and so low on the piano and it's uh touching yeah so full kind of a a sad march have you ever seen immortal beloved the way back when yeah when this song hits on that movie it's like oh that's gary oldman yeah 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 there was a time when I watched every single Gary Oldman movie that he made because so ev- every one he made was a gem. Yeah. You know, Dracula. Yeah. Um, he was in a movie with Sean Penn about the mob in, in oh, Bo- yeah. Boston. Can't remember the name. Uh, Sid, and, Sid, Sid and Nancy. Yep. Uh, he was in. He He's was, played so many different roles. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, Fifth Element. Yeah. <laughs> So I watched. Did I tell you about Aquaman? I th- I was texting with you. about You it. did. I haven't seen it yet. You 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 said it was horrible. <laughs> I gave it a one out of ten, and I, so I'm you know like I'm normally forgiving. Like even with the second Ant Man movie, which was pretty bad, I probably gave it like a four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like with Triple Triple Frontier, I thought that was pretty distasteful. But there's some good moments, so I gave it a four. Triple front. Oh, the one you were just with Ben Affleck. About. Aquaman. There isn't a single scene <laughs> in that movie that I wasn't rolling my eyes at. Oh no! The, oh no! The, the acting is bad. The writing is terrible. But how are the abs? The, you know, surprisingly, he actually doesn't show that much abs. Okay. <laughs> um, his. He's underutilized completely. Hmm. The CGI is so cartoonish. How can you have cartoonish CGI this day and age? It's this the plot is ridiculously complicated. Really? I don't care about anyone in this story. Uh... The the ending battle is silly. You know, they yeah. always have to have that mammoth yeah. epic and so they have a mammoth underwater battle. And <laughs> I don't care about any of it, you know. Ugh. I and I don't even accent, I don't even really know why everyone's fighting all the time. <laughs> um and it it was just it was a mess. And I I just think the DC people that the the range that they're able to accomplish is uh is so skewed different than Avengers. You know, yeah. when Avengers screws it up, they make Ant-Man 2 and it's a 4 out of 10. Yeah. When DC screws it up, it's a one out of ten, Jeez. and it's Aquaman. When DC does well, it's it's Wonder Woman. Yeah, you know, which is I, I like would a give seven. it a seven or eight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, when Avengers done well, it's or like Guardians or something. Guardians or or Infinity War, then yeah. it's an an eight or a nine. I mean, yeah. Guardians, the first one, I'd give yeah. a nine or a ten. Which is uh, funny. So Marvel steered away from one of its golden age main heroes, which was not Namor. Right, the uh, Namor, the their water guy, their Aquaman. Do you remember oh. he's got the little green shorts and he's got the pointy ears and the black jet black hair? Oh yeah, and the Ultramariner or Submariner? I mean Submariner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
they steer away from including him in all this saga because <laughs> they were probably like, come on, man, he's underwater. Like, yeah, what are we going to do here? <laughs> yeah. And like the powers that Aquaman has is different than other movies. Right. And again, he's basically a god. Like he can basically do anything. Well, ironically, Aquaman actually worked very well in like the the old cartoons and stuff like that. Right. Because he was part all, of a team. And all those plots were very earthly based. Right. Like, oh, this guy's robbing banks. Let's try to stop him. Oh, he's going to go into the ocean and pollute the water. Or he's like, or he's going over a bridge, you right, know. Right. Aquaman, get your dolphins. Get your dolphins, yeah. yeah. And but they, you know, <laughs> with the way they write these movies, they never want that kind of No, uh, at this point we're talking about interstellar gods that are, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's like totally dude, disconnected. Can you fly through space cuz if you can't yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so let's end with Sex Education. I watched the first episode of that. Oh, right. Uh, I thought at first I was like, oh, this is just a teen show. It's just, yeah, right? It's pretty dumb. But as as time went on, I was like, oh, this is actually, for a pilot especially, right. it's really good. And it sets up the characters really interesting. And uh, the acting and the writing is, is really good. And the premise is really interesting. Essentially... For those that want to potentially watch this on Netflix, it's about a high school and this shy guy. It eventually becomes a uh, amateur sex therapist, right? Because his mom's a sex therapist, right? But he becomes an amateur sex therapist to everyone in his school, right? In this outbuilding, it's it's in Britain somewhere, right? Yeah, and. They're in this. There's this old outbuilding that isn't being used anymore, and so he uses it as his office during <laughs> during lunchtime and stuff. And all these like hijinks ensue. And do you know I watched the first two episodes before realizing who the mother was, oh, the really? actress. I'm like, she looks so familiar. <laughs> it's Scully from X Files, but I could never have placed her until I, I I looked her up, and then I felt like an idiot. Did do you know where the lead guy came from? You mean the kid? Yeah. Uh, he looks familiar too. Where? Where? Ender's Game. Oh, okay. He was the kid? Yeah. He was Ender? Yeah. Oh. Must Pretty not have made a big impression on me. 95% <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was a super rambly episode. Super rambly. Ram on! And if you're... Li- so, some, you know, some of the people on the survey were like, you know what? Sometimes just love to sit down with Kirk and Umberto and... Listen to them talk. Pull up a cup of Joe. <laughs> and they talk about whatever. And so for those people, they were served. Yep. But, I... but there was another group of people on the survey that was like, will you guys stop talking Shut about things <laughs> that don't have to do with psychology? It's called psychology in Seattle, not called like... Blabble. Blab, blab on Seattle. Blabble on Seattle. <laughs> well, that does it for that episode. Please take care of yourself. Ramble on with your friends because... You deserve it. <laughs>